Hello everybody and welcome back to Season 5 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, my one-time and all-time sequelizing compatriots, Mr. Matthew Stockton. Go climb a rock. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the jetpack-wielding <laughs> fellow sequelizer, Mr. Tim Atom. My boots need more fuel. There we go. <laughs> Oh, that's a weird reference to the opening scene of this film. Yeah. That feels like Mission Impossible 2, but worse. <laughs> oh, it's dear. M- middle-aged impossible. Hey, hey, there we go. There we go. If you haven't already guessed by the title and the little pictures and everything like that, we're fixing Star Trek V, The Final Frontier this week. I do love a film <laughs> that says final and a franchise that has, what, another eight films? Yeah. God, yeah. To various reboots and mashups and crossovers and time travels and whatever the fuck mm. else. And yeah, it's like Final Fantasy. The, the original plan was for that to be his like final RPG game that he ever made. <laughs> he was like, oh shit, it's really <laughs> successful. I guess I'll make 16 more of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? It's like one of the longest running game franchises ever. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek is probably one of the longest running sort of... Uh, He's one of the longest run properties. Yeah, properties in Mm. sort of Mm. Hollywood and pop culture these days. And yet not one of the most successful. (laughs) Yeah, because you talk about like the Marvel Cinematic Universe has grossed trillions of dollars and Star Mm -hmm. Wars made trillions of dollars and everything owned by Disney makes trillions of dollars. It's like, Paramount, go fuck yourselves. (laughs) Star Trek made dozens of dollars. (laughs) Gently chugging along. Yeah, for the last 54 years or whatever it is. It's a long fucking time. Fun little fact, I share my birthday. We're talking about famous birthdays we shared on a on a little uh, patron bit. Yes, a few a few weeks ago, I share my birthday with the original series. Oh, right. it, it debuted on the eighth of September, nineteen sixty six, which is twenty four years before the date of my birth. Be- mm. Beginning of September, you're kind of well timed to uh, have a lot of series kick off. Because the on, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. I share it with other ones, but that's the the only one I give a shit about. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Star Trek Five. Star Trek Five. Star Trek Five. Not this good. was. Uh, we should point out this wasn't our pick this month mm. or this this month this week I should say this was uh, Mark Honeyball I believe who chose this one uh, so thank you very much for the suggestion because um, Star Trek is one that we've been meaning to come back to at some point and mm-hmm. thankfully rather than us going oh what do we do do we choose something that we're not sure about or do we jump in with something else which we can come back to later it's like nope someone's decided for us problem solved because there's a lot of a lot of places you could go and say here's where the rot sets in yes or here's where we're putting down our little we're planting our flag and saying we're gonna do this one mm. it's particularly a weird one because the first film is bad in this series yeah it is yeah. Not great. Like, mm, yeah. It's, it's a really tricky one because the, the the general rule of thumb which isn't entirely accurate is that every even numbered film is uh, a decent film and every odd numbered film is a bad film that is largely inaccurate but it does sort of flow a little bit. You can kind of go, oh, yeah, a bit weak, a bit stronger, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but Star Trek V has a lot of issues. Yeah. And and Mark mentioned in his uh, message, I'll give him a little uh, little quote here. As he is probably most think Khan, Search and Voyage work nicely as a tied together set of films. Mm-hmm. 
tiding nicely as their respective ends and beginnings and the death of Spock and his resurrection tethering together two and three and the exile and Vulcan being the tie between three and four. Having the rest of them getting a new ship, seeing what she had was a tentative link, as some of you may know, it was not the film it was supposed to be. Mm. So given the previous films and the next, how would the sequelizers work the final frontier into the narrative of this six-movie run from the motion picture up to Star Trek VI. See, I like this because... Because it added a little caveat to... Yeah. And, and spoiler alerts, Matthew Stogden is fixing this one because he's the biggest trekker of the three of us by, by a long shot. It's true. And I think just before we started recording, you know, I, I've talked about a lot in this series. First time I'm doing sequelizing in terms of scripts and stuff. Mm. And kicking off with Dark Knight Rises was my like perfect jumping off point for me because that is a film I'd been sequelizing in my head yes. for years at this point. This is your Dark Knight Rises, Matthew. It's one this of them, is, certainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you have quite a few of those, oh, yeah. knowing your <laughs> history with the, the film and the television. <laughs> no, this is one I've been um, quietly defending, saying there are ideas in there that are interesting, and at the same time saying I c- can definitely appreciate this is not a good film. And it's very frustrating. And here's what I would have liked to have seen. Not necessarily what I would have done differently, because obviously the nature of being a director at that point hadn't come to me or even a writer. It was, I would have preferred to see this, which is, let's face it, in earnest, the most sequelizer you can be from a fan point Absolutely, of view. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, then you start getting the logistics of, yeah, but how do you do that? Um, which is why in my, despite the fact that I'm like, oh no, I know what I would do roughly, because the key thing to me isn't, well, I'm going to reboot the whole fucking thing and it's going to be, whatever it's like well no because i like star trek six a lot how do you fit it between four and six i need it to be a three yeah a good standalone story that also threads the two reasonably well to which the original as in five does not do no at all you can go straight to four to six it makes no fucking sense in that timeline or canon doesn't do anything it's just like let's go and see god at the center of the universe right okay okay Um, why Reasons. Reasons, yeah. <laughs> I rewatching this, which we we did for the commentary, as we've mentioned. We did. Yes, um, yeah. We have a patron a, a... patron commentary. Mm-hmm. Go and mm-hmm. check out. Um, because I, the Star Trek films, I'd always kind of absorbed piecemeal, and they'd been the kind of thing that would show on a Sunday afternoon on mm-hmm. British TV, and so I'd sort of osmosed them, like that. I'd I'd kind of got bits and pieces, and I was never a big enough. I was a big enough star trek fan to watch it fairly regularly but also kind of not care about what order the episodes were in also because we were growing up at a time where the internet wasn't available and so you what couldn't was on was easy- on yeah. you couldn't easily check that kind of thing unless you yeah. were really plugged in um and so i was surprised re-watching this how many of the terrible things that i remembered from just the original star trek movies all happen in this film <laughs> yeah yeah that's um fair. Like the weird climbing opening, uh, where they're mm. on uh, the Mission Impossible Two thing. Yeah, yeah the yeah, Mission yeah. Mission yeah. Impossible Two. The on... captain climbing El Capitan. Hey, hey, hey! Uhura's fan dance. Oh, oh God, Jesus! I forgot that was in this movie completely. Yeah, <laughs> so weird bad. sexy cat aliens. Yeah, because oh. Matt and I haven't seen enough sexy cats recently. Uh, we hadn't seen any sexy cats and cats. Jesus. <laughs> What does the Jellicle Cat need with a starship? <laughs> That's um, how you get to the heavyside lair. Hey! There we go. Um, in a way, they do go to the heavyside lair in this film. Kind yeah. of, in that I wanted to pull my eyes out. 
<laughs> and then we all went there and Jennifer Hudson sung beautifully. <laughs> In 1989. Doing a frong dance with the palm leaves. Yeah, and um, just the kind of, the, like, the, the weird chunk of it that feels like something out of a kind of Mad Max meets... Yes, Nimbus 3. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, again, that's another thing I completely forgot. That whole section where they go to Paradise Island, or whatever the fuck they call it, Paradise City, because <laughs> we made the jokes yes. about Guns N' Roses. We did. I completely forgot that existed. And I, I remember, like, oh, the giant face thing is God... And the like bad effects of they go through the storm and all mm. that kind of stuff, and the opening like camping scene, that was about it. And mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, there's a whole like middle half an hour. It's just PG Mad Max for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. It, Weird. It, it, it is a very frustrating film for lots of reasons. The ultimate thing. I'll, okay. Here's what I will say to start with. I think that there are lots of things that went horribly wrong. Behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just in sense of, oh, William Shatner's directing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> Nimoy directed two films and did a really fucking good job. Um, it By most opinions. Um, but it's more the sense that Shatner didn't really have the support of the studio. And Half Bennett's idea. And all the sort of behind the scenes things of just failing on budget. Rewrites. Problems and things. And all the different ideas that were going into it that just didn't work. Or they weren't causing out. Also, and this is a key thing when it comes to the fix, 1989, ILM were very, very, very busy. I believe working on uh, Last Crusade. Correct. Yep. Subsequently, all the visual effects shots in this film look fucking awful. Which is a theme that will come up later on in a couple of episodes' time in our season finale. It really will. There's (laughs) a little teaser for you, folks. A famously bad special effects film we'll be talking about (laughs) very, very soon. It's true. It's true, but it shows. It fucking it shows. Does and show. for a show that kind of, the less so the the original motion pictures we talked about, that's not particularly well regarded, shall we say? Mm. But from Wrath of Khan, like two, three, four is really considered a pretty good run yes. of those. It's like one of the most consistent runs in the Star Trek films. It's famously like every other film, every even number is good, which isn't quite true, mm. but it's near enough for the first few. The point I'm getting to is that they were kind of known for revolutionising special effects at the time. In the 60s, it was doing stuff that had never been seen before. And and going back now, sure, everything is on strings and made of polystyrene (laughs) and stupid fucking costumes and stuff. But everything was back then. You didn't have a choice. There was not the technology or the budget or anything for it. But they really did push the boundaries in many ways. And then this just feels like a step back in so many ways. Like Tim said, there's like, oh my God, this feels so much like the original series. This is 20 years after the original yeah. series. This feels like it could be 1969, not 1989. This movie In had terms this... of its look and feel. Uh, let's see. Three minutes. This movie had the same budget, if you take 1989 as the same year, so, as Ghostbusters 2. And another film we've sequelized. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like, obviously, I know one set in the city and things like that. Yeah, but everything in that film looks good. Still, because of the nature of the effects being the you way don't, You don't look at Ghostbusters and think, fucking hell, this looks 20, <laughs> yeah. 20 yeah. years older than it is. It's Kirk falling down the mountain and Spock chasing oh, after him. It's, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> it looks so terrible. It's like Superman 4 level bullshit. It's yeah. Like, oh, this looks terrible. And in, like, embarrassingly terrible. The set design's still fine because it's still the same old fucking sets in theory. It's, mm. it's, it's the Enterprise. It's fine. Except for the idea of like 
I mentioned this in the commentary. There's a like a long corridor with pipes on the floor, and like, who built this? Yeah. <laughs> why are there pipes on the floor? And why does so the... you can trip over them? Yeah, and whether well, they don't, they bang his head on the roof. But more importantly, the cameraman steps over every single one because there's no like uh, there's no runner for like and a, he's a walking railing. backwards. He's walking backwards. Yeah. I'm like that's that's impressive filmmaking. That's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many ta- how many other takes there are. It's like, Whoa! you just see the ceiling. Shani is more and more angry. Yeah. Um, no, as I say, I think the, there's a lot that's, that's wrong with the film. I think there's a lot that's, that was uh, pushed aside. And the, a lot of the ideas, let's face it, did come from Shatner saying, I want to be the hero and save the day and have everyone... Really? Well, yeah. I mean, I the, can't tell. I mean, yeah. Oh, wait. Yes, I can. Yeah. Because yeah. he has the answer for fucking everything in <laughs> yeah, this film. Yeah, that's true. I want to jump to a quote from the... Uh, future, the man himself? The Futurama episode. Technically from the man himself. Okay. The Futurama oh, episode, episode where they... Well, uh, Zach Brannigan. They encounter all of the uh, original... Oh. Oh, Star this Trek is room. amazing. Yes. So this is uh, Leonard uh, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner's technically their heads uh, talking. So Nimoy says, "When I directed Star Trek oh, yeah. Three, I got a good performance out of Bill because I respected him so much." And then Shatner says, "And when I d- directed Star Trek Five, I got a good performance out of me because I respected me so much." <laughs> it's hilarious, but it's also really fucking Absolutely. on. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was going to be that you know, and even even in the film. There's the point where um, <laughs> so I think Scott says down to, to the shuttle craft, we won't power to take like two of you. So it's been both up and uh, McCoy's like, wait a damn minute. Mm-hmm. And then disappears and it's like, that's right. I'm going to take you on myself, God. I'm going <laughs> to double fist punch you in the face, motherfucker. <laughs> neck chop. You got a oh, neck. handle the God in the face. Yeah, I'm going to neck chop you, motherfucker. It's like, I get it. Yeah. But it's... it's and and the 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 whole point of um a, a reasonably actually good scene in this which mm. is where i can't even remember the name of the bad guy in it cybok cybok what a great name or god or god <laughs> well jesus so, uh, he's the, the jesus of he's, the, he's vulcan jesus he's yeah. or he's more uh vulcan john the moses? baptist yeah oh, john yeah. the baptist vulcan, yeah. vulcan moses mm. um so there's a scene where he is sort of confronting the core trio with their oh. Uh, fears and oh, insecurities. I thought you were going to go straight in with the uh, Cyborg of Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> we ride in for hours. Fucking no, hell. I love this scene, and, Tim, so um, you continue. Yeah, and, and with McCoy, he deals with his like father having passed oh, away. Yes, yes, yes. And it's not quite clear whether that's recent or in the distant past, but it's but it's a good scene and like... Um, yeah. uh, DeForest Kelly acting DeForest Kelly's the motherfucker. A- a- act- acts the hell Probably out of it. Maybe the best scene in the film. It is, think, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then with Spock, he flashes back to his birth and like his original... Weird, but sure. Like mm. his problems of being half human, half Vulcan and mm. stuff like that. And then he comes around to Kirk and Kirk's like, I have no fears, I have no flaws. Your your tricks won't work on me, Cybok. <laughs> and he's like, fair enough. Yeah. Conjurer of spirits and wizard, leave me be. Yeah. Um, I do like though that we like. Oh shit! What's Kirk afraid of? I'm like, I'm, I, just, I want what's fucked him up, and the answer mm. is, you don't get to see my pain. Yeah. And part of me is like, no, I like the, I, I do like Kirk saying all, um, his, all his bastard half alien hybrid children <laughs> spread across the galaxy, asking for just, like literally a mountain of hands reaching up to grab him, and they're all just saying father. Yeah. Like an Akira style. That would have been dark as fuck. That would have been good. Imagine him like he falls in, he oh. have the vision of him like snogging a sexy green lady, mm. and then she transforms into just like a pregnant mm. green lady, <laughs> and then yeah, he's like as he lays down in bed like stressing yeah. out, he's just consumed by alien hands yeah. of the, the many bastard children. See, see I, 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 I think um, Kirk isn't as 
Kirk isn't as dirty, dirty dog as we make him out to be. <laughs> I think he just likes making out and then he like, likes kissing. He, he likes getting to second base and then he's yeah. like, "I've taken it far enough. God's God's watching." <laughs> Literally, yeah. No, I a must big admit, old face on that planet. He's watching. <laughs> I think there's an easy, there's an easier fix for this, because we actually do see what the worst case scenario is for Kirk, and it's and the only time he really falls backwards and stumbles is in Star Trek Three when he's like, "You Klingon bastard, you killed my son." That's his. That's his pain. Mm. His son died because he was a reckless kid who was like him, and it's like, oh yeah. But if you just shown us that again it would have linked it into three made it a bit more solid solidified it would have made much more sense yeah the the line doesn't need to be you don't get to see my fear it's i've already confronted my worst fear oh yeah. yes you know i have seen it and fear. i don't need to see it yeah, yeah. i am my worst i live fear. and then the, yeah. i love the line i live with I, my fear. you're not a do- you know you're a doctor you can't just magic away pain with a magic wand mm. i need my pain and that i mean that's not necessarily true of anybody but it describes him really well yeah and it's like this is so good this is so star trek but it's literally in a quagmire of boring <laughs> shit um and are they the thing that i think i constantly defend this film for it is dull it is semi funny dad jokes in places their effects are very ropey and it's very slow and the villains are shit so you've got the, the Klingon villains who barely feel like worth mm. mentioning at all. Cyborg is quite interesting, but underused. And yeah, I think... Sorry, no, no, sorry, I was going to say, and, and God is 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 God. <laughs> Question mark. But then also forgets that Star Trek, they've confronted many things, call himself a God. This is just, you know, forgets what this is. This is like this the is. second or third time they've met a big a God. amorphous cloud from a planet that goes, I am God. Like, yeah. Yeah, we know. We're, We're scientists prove yeah. it. We punched the last one, we'll punch you, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, punch a motherfucker through space, Terran Empire style. I punched many gods <laughs> yeah. with many faces. I fucked them all. <laughs> um, Just make out with... <laughs> oh, sorry, yes. Yeah. I'm watching. Me, Shatner, <laughs> God. But ultimately, it is a Star Trek episode. It's just... Mm bogged down in a lot of uh let's let's face it a lot of interference from a studio who didn't trust the film and also a lot of problems of ego and all sorts of things and rewrites etc um there's a few little the living planet ego the planet hey kurt russell um i must admit because okay okay but we haven't actually described the film in case anyone doesn't know the film is really easy to describe three old motherfuckers in a woods have a bit of a crisis yeah and are sent on a rescue mission for the worst possible reasons in a ship that doesn't actually work because they need someone who's experienced, apparently, yep. on a ship that doesn't work. And they go, okay, fine. So they go to this planet where they find out that this random renegade Vulcan who loves Spock's emotions is actually Spock, Spock's half-brother. And he has taken captured this sort of mid-post ground in neutral zone territory which is just a fucking wasteland of shit the Mad Max bit the Mad Paradise Max bit City, yeah. and he's freeing all their minds with evangelical sort of like I'll take your pain from you and it's like oh this is all very odd anyway so then he manages to convince well barely convince them to take mm-hmm. him to their starship to then go to the center of the universe we're not making this up yeah I described it to Emma earlier today, and I was like, oh, we're going to be doing Star Trek V. It's the one where they go to the center of the universe and meet God. And she was like, what? Like, <laughs> no, that's, that's real. We watched it the other day. Yep. It's the worst. Uh, I still maintain insurrections. Yeah. Last. But you know, I mean, no, I'm exaggerating. I'm I know you mean The worst is I know. a majority of It's the fucking job. terrible, yeah. So they take the ship, and for some reason, Kirk, they can do a side room, and everyone at this point, Uhura and Scott, and everyone goes, this is great. 
this is fantastic. Let's do it. Let's go to the center of the earth and meet God. And in the side room, they can't separate the trinity of Spock, McCoy, Kirk. It's like, fair enough. That makes sense. And it doesn't always work as to why, but it makes sense. So they all go out of curiosity anyway <laughs> and find a planet and go, fuck me. Better, better go down on a shuttle. Wow, this must be God. Yep. It looks like every other planet we've <laughs> ever seen it in look- the last 30 fucking years. It looks like Nimbus 3. It looks exactly like Nimbus 3. It's literally, they got lost, sailing around the Isle of Wight, and came straight back home again. Oh, it's a slightly <laughs> off-pink desert. Yeah. Like all the other off-pink deserts. <laughs> and then they rock up into a cavern. A big old face comes out of nowhere, which has two other faces, which, which is quite creepy. Wizard of Oz style, just a big old yep. sword on Makes style a big face. load of rock penises erupt around. <laughs> oh, yeah! Curly rock, rock penises, penises yeah. yeah. I forgot about them. And then... Excuse me. I, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God... Need with Captain James D. Cook. Um, yeah, so he wants to know. He said, "Bring the ship closer. I want to bring. It could bring my message throughout the universe. I want to spread the love across the universe. Come on, spread my body on your ship." And um, what? Kirk says, "Why do you need what a ship?" And says, God. "Who is this being? Is it Leave with the starship? Do you know who I am? I'm fucking Kirk, bitch. You what should is, know who I am." And then, be, "What is God? Leave with the starship." My God. And it carries on. And then they <laughs> they leave. Kind of. Yeah. The the God chases... And he goes... Kirk. (laughs) Like a weird thing. And then the Klingon bird of prey turns up. Because reasons. Because reasons. And shoots God in the face. (laughs) Yep. And then threatens to shoot Kirk. And Kirk says, Ah, it's me you want, is it? Me, the real God. I knew it. And he's beamed aboard. And the old general says, meet our new gunner. <laughs> it's it's Spock. It's Spock, everybody. And he's like, don't touch me in front of the Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go home. Oh, they go back to... They no, go, no, go, no, back, go back, back, back to Yosemite Park. That's the park. whole film. It's an episode, and it's a dull episode. And they forget how to sing in the round by Fucking singing Row, 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 Your Boat. And then all join in with Merrily, Merrily, Merrily. Yeah. Marshmallows, I think you'll find. There's a lot of really solid concepts here. Really interesting things. How does things. one eat a marshmallow, Matthew? My God, a marshmallow. Marshmallow. Beans. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they have a lot of concepts oh. here about aging and frivolousness and, and death marshmallows. and marshmallows and beans <laughs> and family recipes and, and, and legacy and all kinds of shit and, and nature of God and, and the universe and why are we out here in the first place and they kind of don't follow up on any of them and they waste most of the story and cast and runtime and it looks like shit I think kind of like the fundamental thing that all Star Trek films have to juggle with marshmallows is, <laughs> marshmallows. Um, is that people People want Star Trek to be Star Trek, which means that there mm-hmm. has to be some kind of sci-fi or philosophical element that is being explored. J.J. Uh, Abrams didn't. Well, oh, and this... No. You want to be this, Star Wars. Th- yeah, this is, you know, the reason that those films got I'm some criticism is that, and, and people who felt they weren't Star Trek is because they didn't have any of that. Sure. Because when it comes to the films, people also want some kind of action and bigger scale than the episodes can offer. And yes. I think I think that kind of push and pull between the kind of issues that would be discussed in just an episode of Star Trek and the more the bigger scale, the more time that you have the in a in a film and the the fact that people expect something momentous to happen. Yeah. It's a real tricky balance to strike. And like the ones that do it well do it really well. And I think that they 
really hold up even you know you're going back to your wrath of khans and stuff like yeah, that yeah, where yeah. you know you can look at some sci-fi from around that time and be like mm, it's a bit rocky mm. the concepts and the the chemistry of the cast carry it through and then the ones that fail like this like insurrection yeah like you know countless others even generations is a lot of wobble in yeah it. they just they do oftentimes just feel like a, an episode of Star Trek that's been stretched out to fill another half an hour. Yeah. Um, and then you have the J.J. The Abrams ones, which don't feel like Star Trek, but do feel like a whiz-bang roller coaster that's, you know, oh, that was entertaining. Didn't really make me think at all during it. There's a great analogy, which is, uh, which is in many forms, but Star Wars is a... Um, a snow day where you get don't have to go to school and you can muck about with your friends all day in the snow and it's fucking great. Star Trek is a field trip to a museum. For some people, the fucking museum is going to be a great fucking time with your friends mm. and you're really going to learn a lot of stuff on the way. And for those people, Star Trek's the thing. Mm. It, you're there to learn, basically. Have fun and things, and but you're learning at the same time. Mm. And Star Wars is just fucking around and having a great time doing it, even if it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, us versus them kind of mindset, but mm. it always seems to come down to it, mm. even like for any reason. Yeah, I think you touched on it earlier on, Matt, and Tim, you kind of mentioned it as well, is <laughs> the problem with this is it tries to touch on those philosophical ideas. And in theory, there's some great points in there that it could really delve into. The, the idea of this connected galaxy and all these different philosophies and beliefs being connected through Starfleet and the Klingons and the Vulcans and all this kind of stuff would feel like you would really bring together a different religions and different ideas and different concepts and all this kind of stuff. And exploring the concept of God in a sci-fi setting is a very interesting thing to do. And talking about, like, you mentioned, Matt, like, the, the idea of them being an aging crew and them dealing with that and dealing with their fears and their anxieties yeah. and, oh, God, we're, we're the old guys now and all this kind of stuff. Now just shoot God in the face. Like, wait, <laughs> you had... You were so close to getting something really interesting and, like, you hear if you take the like, elevator pitch for this of like they go to the center of the universe and they meet god I'm like okay first of all what the fuck but second of all like, <laughs> i guess that kind of sounds yeah. like star trek sure what else that sounds less like star wars and more like star trek it's yeah. got that hint of that philosophical bigger picture existential question that star trek often poses sure and then they just fucking do nothing with it and it's like oh he no he is just a big face on this planet sort of yeah. is he an alien is he a god and it doesn't nothing like, we just shoot him yeah that part of it is so brief there's like 10 minutes where they actually spend like here's god what does that mean here's us confronting him turns out he's not real five minutes is them walking through that fucking desert yeah. it's such a long walk it's, it's literally just i assume it's shot in like arizona or whatever and it's I just say shot in real time <laughs> probably you yeah, just see is. their feet walking down sand dunes it takes a long time and then a shot that just holds on them walking into the distance yeah <laughs> For like um, two minutes? In the commentary, we have a bit where they're walking down a hill, uh, the mountain, sorry, and uh, it's Cybok leading Kirk, McCoy, and Spock. And we see a close-up, as Jack mentioned, of the floor. Oh, and this sort of scuffling as he comes down the mountain, sort of stabilising a bit. And you think, oh, okay. And it hangs for a few seconds. Oh, there's another one. Shit. <laughs> Wait, are they getting all four of them? And a third one comes down and think, oh, no, they cut the fourth one off. That's, a, that's an interesting move, Shatner. Um, but the interesting thing as well, the, the edit is a part of this interesting thing about why the film is the way it is. But also, that 10 minutes on Shakari was meant to be huge. I mean, like a big fight with rock monsters and the crew being 
brought down to hell and Shatner, or Kirk, I should say, sorry, punching the devil in the Shatner. face. <clears throat> Shatner. Yeah, so all kinds of shit was going to go on, but obviously they're like, no, no budget. But we punching can probably film the it. devil in the face. Yeah, so Sounds fighting the devil. fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sign me up see, for that shit. That's how you finish the thing. It's like, what's the, what's the elevator pitch for Star Trek V? Well, what happens is the crew go to the middle of the universe and they find God. Oh, okay. But it's actually the devil and they're fighting. Okay, that sounds fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I'm on board. Who's playing the bad guy? Shakari, by the way. That's why I mentioned this. Shakari is an in-joke, apparently. From the really? Crew. Yes, because the one they wanted to get, they couldn't get because he was busy doing Raiders of the Lost Ark. Sean Connery. Oh, fuck <laughs> off. You look at how Cyborg looks off. and everything. It was supposed to be Sean Connery, apparently. I mean, that makes sense. It makes complete sense. It makes a lot of and sense. And Connery being a Nimoy brother would be like really interesting and being like, emotional over the top. And it's like, yeah. That'd be really interesting. Again, we should. It sounds I'm silly. From the Scottish part of the <laughs> <a> Vulcan. Vulcan. <laughs> you should go north enough and Vulcan, you'll find. Lots of planets have a Scotland. <laughs> oh, you, you beat me uh, to it, like Tim. It. You beat me to it. So it, it's interesting because when this film. And we obviously think now, oh, yeah, Star Trek V, piece of shit. When the film was being released, because Star Trek 2, 3, and 4 had built such momentum and been so good. Star Trek V was tipped to be potentially the biggest release of the year, fiscally and, and the box office and everything else. That's crazy to think of now, but they were like, you've had enough of a run-up at this thing. It's another adventure. Shatner's directing. That's a big thing. because What could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong? Uh, everything. Batman. Batman. Shatner. Crusade. Shatman. Batman versus Shatman. Yeah. I'm a Shatman. My God. Punch. Devil in the face. <laughs> so effectively, yeah, it's it's actually a really disappointing release. And thank Christ, Myers came back for um, Undiscovered Country because mm. Six is a fantastic movie, in my opinion. I really think Six I is like one Six of the best ones. Yeah. yeah, If I had to rank them, I'm not going to, but I'm going to do just the, the top three. It's Wrath of Khan, First Contact, which is eight, which is the Borg one. Yeah, time travel. Yeah, First Contact, good. and then Undiscovered Country. Nice. Yeah. No. There's some other ones in there I really enjoy and stuff, but they're, they're my main. No, into dark boys. There, man. Into darkness is interesting. It's fine. Might come up later. It might. In um, it's interesting that with, that with the Abrams stuff. Star Trek Beyond also feels a bit like a TV episode. That's very much so. Bigger yeah, visual very effects. Very much so. But the the questions that it asks, I really fucking like the questions it asks. I like Beyond a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's the thing. If the, if it if it asks the right questions, even if it doesn't get to the right answers, the fact that it reaches mm. is more important to me than going ah. Fuck it, it looks nice. We're doing a fucking thing in a canyon with Especially for Star Trek. Tagging you can people. get away with that shit with so many other like generic sci-fi franchises or even Star Wars, because Star Wars in a lot of ways it does it occasionally dip into like philosophical concepts and existential it's concepts. It's fantasy, it can't avoid it really. Yeah, exactly. But you can kind of get away with it being a big popcorn y kind of flick a lot of the time as well. Yeah. Star Trek is so entrenched in <laughs> socio-political commentary and political intrigue and satire and everything satire like that, yeah. and existential crises and mm -hmm. personal crises and fear and introspective ideas and philosophical ideas it's it's the thinking man sci-fi kind of thing there's so many tick boxes but, you need to yeah. get to make a invert commas star trek film yeah exactly and exactly. i hate to say this because of the kind of star wars films we've had over the years what constitutes as a Star Wars film is actually quite difficult to, or sorry, quite easy to define in theory. It's just like, well... Set in that universe, I guess. It, yeah, it's, it's in the universe. That's why it's a Star Wars film. Problem solved. Moving on. Yep, exactly. I know I get a lot of hate for that sentence, but fuck. <laughs> We're not wrong. 
it's it's interesting. Um, we we obviously talked about Shatner and Kirk's love interests across the original series. They actually put in so much of the like raunchiness and some of the like more daring costumes and stuff purely so that the standards and practices at the time would pick them up on it and be worried about that rather than worried about the political content that they were putting in the episodes yeah. they'd that be like sense. let's so put they, let's put in some tasteful side boob and, and then the, they won't the, worry that we're, th- three we're going on about the Vi- kind of yeah we're, we're worrying about the vietnam war yeah <laughs> it's it's interesting because there's a lot of seedy stuff that obviously stays in you're like this is kind of grubby yeah. To be fair, when, we, when you walk into the cantina, as it were, on Nimbus 3, remember the commentary Jack said, this is kind of Star Wars. I just started singing yeah. the cantina yeah. theme, and it pans around the different things, and it's like the the famous scene in the 1977 Star mm. Wars New Hope, where yeah. you see like, oh, that's just a wolfman mask. There's, <laughs> speaking of the devil, there's yeah. a devil, the devil in the corner. There's literally a devil guy. Yep. And it's just like, okay, it's just a bunch of blokes, and there's a three-boobed cat lady strip dancing. Did it before Total Recall? Yes, we were talking about this on the, mm. in the we realized like <laughs> this is a year before Total Recall. They got the three boobs in first. <laughs> Kirk throws a woman into a a billiard table made of water and just instantly dies. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Uh, and speaking of like grubby and seediness of this movie, I have a real problem with the fact that the primary plan to get into Nimbus 3's Paradise City to save the Romulan, human, and Klingon ambassadors from the crazy renegade Vulcan is to steal some horses from some people in the desert by making their senior command... Sorry, senior communications commanding officer take off all of her clothes and do a nudie dance. (laughs) So when they come close enough, they go, Ha ha ha! You randy dickheads, we have guns. And they go, oh, well, I never no. seen a woman before. And she says, I've always wanted to play to a captive audience. Ha ha ha. It's a pun. Now, where's my uniform? And they put on some rags. I assume incinerate those people and um, ride the horses into the middle of the place and, and say, just shine a spotlight on them and go, <laughs> Oh, that's not one of us. We've been made quickly. That's, that's a bloke in a, with a with a towel around his head. Uhura, have you uh have you got back in your clothes and in the, the shuttle? Yes, lie in the shuttle. Why didn't you just? Fu- it's so <laughs> stupid. It's uh, there are so many problems with this film, that, uh, and it's not that. Yes, okay. I mean the the huge intrinsic problems of pacing and design of uh, we found a lot of the costumes and things. God, God in general, and the visual effects. It's it's the shit that stands out in your memory, like. Why did they do that? And you just yeah. remember this one horrible scene every now and again. Um, although every now and again, there's like good some good moments where you get like the prison break thing. I like them in the in the in the brig, and then saying like it's the most uh, amazing prison mm. we've ever built in Starfleet. It's like Rodriguez is like fucking fluorescent light bulbs to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the classic. Oh, and we also of course realized as we always know already. But specifically in this movie, McCoy is a massive racist. Absolutely. <laughs> if you yep. transpose anything he's saying about Vulcans to, I don't know, an Asian person or a black person, it becomes genuine hate crimes. But we all love him because he's a crotchety old cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of like inexplicable decisions. Oh, here we go. The whole, the Enterprise isn't built yet, but we're going to send you out anyway. Uh, is such a... Hate that. There's just no just... one else. This, we don't have no, a full fleet of yeah. fucking starships. Who else could we possibly send out there? And like, they don't justify it particularly well within the within the film. But then they also 
do very, very little with the fact that the Enterprise isn't functional yet. It's just, it's kind of jokes every now and then. Yeah. But there's no... Scotty spends basically the whole film being like, oh, I can't even do the beaming up because <laughs> this is Enterprise. It's the, it's, yeah. you know, we were fixing it like 10 minutes ago. Right? Okay. You beam them <laughs> up two at a time. Does it matter? Just do the it's thing. Like it's fine. And there's so, like, your bloody Star Trek writers, like, there are so many other ways that you could justify, like, the little, the things that it's used to justify could easily just be like, oh, well, this is just a planet with a lot of interference in its atmosphere. Or, yeah, or, oh, they set up shields around yeah, the thing. There's a and, nebula nearby is the yeah. classic one. And you've justified that little plot point that you had to make without turning, like, what is one of the kind of iconic ships of science fiction into this kind of running joke it's yeah. like it's like the winnebago of space is like but it's new yeah <laughs> how could it be this shit yeah because yeah. they get a brand new one at the end of three don't they this is the brand They're new one the yeah end, the enterprise a or whatever it's called like yeah. oh they finished the outside but hadn't finished the inside it's not yeah. how i imagine cars are built yeah we build it from the outside in we build the shell and then we put a warp core in there <laughs> somewhere through Which, one of the keyholes. It's for ejecting later. That's yes, all it's exactly. ever for. <laughs> yeah. We've got to eject the warp core. <laughs> and it's it's the, the stupid thing of like, they don't even have, having this be the top of the line star, uh, Starfleet ship yeah. would then justify the plot of like, oh, okay, they had to get the Enterprise to come. Like the um, Cybok and his lot wanted the Enterprise specifically because they needed this top of the line ship to get to the center of the universe. Yeah. Like none of that. Like, there's no explanation as to why no one else has really gone into the center of the universe before. It's just like, yeah. oh, everyone's kind of scared of it, we guess. And they they imply that like, oh, ships have gone there before, but we've lost contact with them. Why? Yeah. <laughs> why didn't they just shoot God in the face and leave? Because <laughs> yeah. they all or, have the same fucking photon torpedoes and. Or why didn't God use of... them to escape if he's if British yeah. Shatner's closer. the only person yeah. who's willing to turn the around only, and go? The only but so why? he should have been able to mm. convince anyone else. So one of the other ships that had gone in there previously, yeah. as you said, Tim, he should have already escaped on a ship anyway. <laughs> so what? What were the ships that had been in there before? Mm. Either they shot God in the face or they got convinced. Okay, I'm, but I, neither of them. I'm about theory. to no prize this. Oh, okay. Okay. There ha- so ships have gone there before, and God in inverted commas, has escaped before. We know and those mean. those are all the gods that they met in oh, the original series. And this many one, faces. This one is the dumbass one. Like, there's there was a whole species of them. Oh, and this is the stupidest one who's left there alone. Is, is this the Wheatley from Portal 2? Yeah. And, and that's a future armor episode as well. And there's a planet of floating <laughs> space gods. And they meet him. And he's like, I am your god. And it's like... Willie, come home for dinner. <laughs> Shut up, Bob. Yeah. Floats off to his giant fart clown mother. See... I think ultimately that it could work. You could literally say that it's just a barren rock that everything just goes crazy and just crashes onto the surface or something. Or alternatively, the only reason it's got powerful enough now is because Cybok's been doing his, you know, I don't know, cosmic link. Yeah, that could be something that is effectively powering it. So it's becoming more fused. It's, It's that classic thing of it feels like it needed someone to go through and give it another edit and just be like, Hang on, why are these characters doing this thing? Why, oh, yeah, is, yeah. why is this the decision that they make? Rather that beyond just this is the point we need to get them to. Yeah, it needs it needs someone to go through and go kind of. But why? 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 It's like they had the ending first, or at least the the destination first. Then like, how do we get to the center of the universe? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. 
And I still don't know, but here's the script. <laughs> Fuck it. But we've started filming. And- exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we have a deadline and a release date and a trailer, so might as well just carry on. And Bill's- we've already filmed the trailer. Bill's really excited about being able to sing <laughs> Row, Row, Row Your Boat. <laughs> Fuck it, twice. <laughs> and then forget what singing in the round is. <laughs> merrily, 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 merrily. Merrily, merrily, No, no, no sing no, it mer- all in unison. <laughs> merrily. As soon as you get to merrily, merrily, you all have to sing it together. That's how it row, works. Row, 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 your boat. Boat, boat, row, boat, boat. You know, that classic. I feel like I'm exaggerating far too much because I am, but still it's like... Uh, row, 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 row your uh, Spock, you know, row, 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 row your boat. <laughs> it's like, nobody knows that, motherfucker. <laughs> and as we pointed out so many times, they rag on Scott, uh, Scott on um, Spock so many times. And he's like, so versed in Shakespeare and shit. And say, so, oh, I'm well versed with the classics. How come you don't know Row, 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 Row? It's a fucking children's rhyme, you yeah. dumb twat. The difference between the classics yeah. and nursery rhymes. Yeah. And we said, uh, the look on Spock's face is like he should just turn around if he's like giving into his emotions mm. and say, name me one Vulcan piece of literature you You cut. said that in the commentary, <laughs> didn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because yeah. it's like, look, McCoy, I get it. You're not special, yeah. motherfuckers. Yeah. It's, but like, you have, uh, again, I know that the universal translator mindset where everyone's speaking their own language is like, I just love the idea that do you speak a different language even if you were trying? No. And I'm not going to learn. Want to know why? America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whereas the kind of the utopian vision of Star Trek is like they should all be those motherfuckers who are out there and are like, yeah, I speak eight languages. Like, you yeah. know, Just in case. Just in case. Because I want to be able to... I love the idea that... Many... Well, actually, this is a point of contention. So I love the idea that Uhura does. Mm. She doesn't need a universal translator she does it herself and she's really good at it however there is a joke in star trek 6 which is actually in my opinion very funny and maya's found very very funny because he doesn't give a shit about star trek um that Ahura was like I, she wouldn't do that and it's like i know but it's funny and that's usually a bad thing the thing in question <laughs> is when they're trying to stall the klingons and they got a klingon um uh, dictionary in front of them i know i'm talking about star trek 6 now instead of star trek 5 but bear with me and um it's the idea that She's trying to translate badly, and they're going, pop, ha, ha, and they'll look at each other like, what the fuck is he saying? I don't know. And they sort of click the button, they'll go, oh, ha, 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 and the second they take the thing off the triggers, the, the transmitter, as it were, just immediately cut to, and it's hilarious for the fact that it, it's out of character, but it's very good. Unlike, I don't know, a nudie dance. <laughs> In front of two moons. <laughs> Three moons. Oh, God. Three moons, if you know what I mean. Um, and I don't have a problem with that. Because the thing is, a lot of people have a weird problem. Like, wait a minute. That's like a 50, 60-year-old woman. Ugh. It's, like, it's like, no. It just not even occur to me. It's just, it's, that's, Michelle that's, Nichols can do what she likes. Damn right. And it's just more that like, no, she's a fucking decorated officer. Yeah. Also, also. Where's Shatner's nudie dump? <laughs> No, because let's face it, we don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that shit. Not in the, not in the end. They have to take the girdle off. Let, let, <laughs> no, why is there a sort of budding relationship between Scott and Uhura that goes nowhere? Yeah, and is never addressed ever cause, again. Because it's the thing that obviously Abrams brings up is the Spock and Uhura thing mm. that is hinted at for like ten seconds mm. in one of the original series episodes or films. I can't even remember mm, at this. Sure, point. sure. There's a brief moment where they're like. Hey, what up? Except she like strokes Scott's face for about 10 seconds in this. She's just like, <laughs> don't worry, you sweet, sweet. I've got to get back to my engines. Exactly, yeah. 
I'll, I'll be that's his I'll he be in my bunk things. like I'll, I'll go and have a wank at the engine room mm. now you've touched me woman like, I mean admittedly it, as much as Star Trek the original series is a lot of like oh Kirk's fucking the world I should point out in the, I want to say the second or third episode of The Next Generation they all get infected with like a love virus oh yeah they and do. Tasha Yar goes mental and fuck data <laughs> you would though wouldn't you well everyone would yeah Yar was alright um, but the point was that um, it, it's just a Star Trekky thing because it had to somehow spice it up for TV, and it's like, all oh, right, okay. But in the movies, it just feels so weird. It feels very much like uh, Age of Ultron having uh, Bruce Banner and uh, oh, Natasha and, yes. get together, and it's just like I could see why they're trying to pair them up, and I, I kind of get it, but it also doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just this kind of awkward. It, it all comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It's trying to match pillows in the house. Uh, sorry, there's a, there's a concept about people who are in a relationship or couples, and they're like, if they have a single pillow that doesn't fit, you go, huh, <laughs> this should be a set. Mm. I feel like we have to get that set. It's like, no, it could just be on its own. No. <laughs> it's, it needs it's, to be... It's, it's the... Uh, it stands out. Like, we're getting near to the end of our series. We've got to pair everyone up. Yeah. So now, now Neville Longbottom is dating Hannah Abbott. Tim calls on his... Is that uh, a thing? Knowledge of uh, the Hannah, Harry Hannah Abbott. I believe that's who he ends up with in the Harry Potter um, like postscript. Terrible. I've literally never. I thought he ended up with years later. I thought he ended up with Neville Longbottom's hand. Wee <laughs> wee lads. Neville's, you see what it is? Neville's cool. No, Matthew Lewis is right. Is Matthew Lewis the player? Yeah, yeah, Matthew yeah. Lewis. Yeah. He's all right. So he yeah. went from like weird nerdy kid to super fucking hot. It's called <laughs> fucking puberty. Yeah, <laughs> but like I love pu- that puberty when, done right. Um, you know, he's like, oh, we'll hire these kid actors. They'll be great. And it's like, you do know puberty's coming, right? <laughs> you can't tell what they're going to look like. They might just like a stretched skull with some skin sort of on it a little bit. Like the huh? villains in fucking Star Trek Insurrection. Like, <laughs> it's like, and then after a while, they might look a bit all right. Yeah, but some of them will get boobs. It's like, that's inappropriate. <laughs> and then the only reason I bring that up is because of the posters for um, Harry Potter mm-hmm. 5. Yeah. Anyway. Before we fix Star Trek the the final frontier. Yes. We should take a moment to discuss Stitcher Premium. Oh, is it is it located on Hakari? Hakari. <laughs> Bring the Stitcher closer. <laughs> <laughs> what oh, does Lord. God need with a podcast? <laughs> Give me the premium service. <laughs> I can feel your pain. <laughs> That's a really good sign, Paul. Thank you. Well done. Um, so, if you have pain... <laughs> no, uh, this one is actually one I've been wanting to recommend for quite some time since we started doing this uh, uh, sponsorship thing. But it's not been appropriate until now. Oh. This is a podcast my wife uh, got me listening to. And my wife. My wife. She uh, supports the patron. joke. <laughs> Coils. God damn it. <laughs> Fucking girls. So this is one that my wife got me interested in and it was something that, she, something that she still supports greatly and I genuinely love the fuck out of it. It is called Philosophize This. Ooh. Um, this is one of those rare opportunities by where I... title we, alone, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, it's by a guy called uh, Stephen West and usually when I go to these things, we'll go, oh, that's quite interesting. I genuinely fully recommend it to you two. Oh. And... Not to you, comma, oh, to, to. to you, too. <laughs> yeah, no, to you guys and also the listeners. To es- you, too. Especially for... S- and them as well. <laughs> to all. To Bono, the Edge, and, and the, the other, other two. two. 
Larry and David. David, <laughs> it's David, isn't it? I don't know. I'm Irish, but I'm Larry, Irish. Larry, David, Larry Mullins Jr. It's Larry and yeah, Curly and, and the Mo. other one, the yeah. Curly and Mo. and John Deacon <laughs> from Queen. <laughs> so. The Philosophers of this podcast is a fantastic way to get into philosophy. Now, philosophy is fucking dull, but also fucking amazing. Like psychology. Thanks, Star Trek. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and also because of this podcast, oh, sorry, uh, this episode, I should say specifically, some of the concepts come up in this in, in the Philosophers thing. Oh, okay. Do they explain why God would need a spaceship? Yeah, that's episode one. Why God needs a starship. Actually, the answer is no. Oh. However... The episode I'm going to recommend specifically people jumping in on um, does reference both Raiders and Star Trek. Okay. As in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, uh, Stephen West is a is the best kind of podcaster in my mind because he's the kind of guy I wish I sounded like with, you know, not with his accent, with my accent. Because he doesn't pause badly. He doesn't ah, rush through words like I do. Kind of he speaks perfectly mm-hmm. and eloquently and he's very entertaining. In the first few episodes, he does sound like Kermit. Um, because he's still getting used to the sound equipment. But then, to be fair, if you go back to episode one of our stuff, we sound like we're because we recorded in a very small open space with a small mic. Don't go and listen to season one or two. No, 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 don't worry it about it. Like garbage. So that's just how it is. But he and I both recommend you jump in at episode ninety. Whoa! Which is where he starts talking about Nietzsche, and he does it literally trying to make things uh, in a half an hour point, all sort of philosophy basic one hundred and one, um, approachable and without pretension and just really quite uh, uh, sort of simple. He talks about like one Nietzsche concept about envy being a good thing because it inspires you because it says, well, the second you see someone, you're like, uh, you're envious of them. That puts a spotlight on everything you're worried about. So if you think, what's what for my life? What can I do to fix my life? Well, if you envy someone of something, you know exactly what you want in that moment. We feel bad about it, but technically if you, you do it to drive yourself, well, all I need to do is this, this, and this. And even if it's something physically impossible, you think, well, can I make it possible? And all the, the concepts are there. It's great. So I, I recommend it highly, extremely. Um, but it deals with such heavy things and um, just very, very um, deep concepts. From And I just point out from all national, it's not just the standard Western mm. uh, Aristotle, Plato kind of standard Greek uh, Western philosophy. It also covers... Uh, the I Ching and Lao Tzu and that sort of stuff, and also African um, philosophies as well. The first episode is about the idea of um, all thoughts, I can't remember what it's called specifically, but all thoughts coming out of Africa specifically, and everything else going from there. And it's just really fascinating, really interesting and engaging, and I genuinely recommend it highly. Now, if, people, if people want to get hold of this yeah. amazing podcast, but for slightly perhaps... At a premium level, but also at cheaper than they normally would. Yeah, yeah. How do they do that, Matthew? That's a good question. Well, you'd have to steal a starship, <laughs> and then you'd have to breach the boundary, the barrier. And once you get through the barrier to the great shock, <laughs> <laughs> then you can get to Stephen West's house. But better than that, you can also just go to Stitcher house. Premium. and Paradise um <laughs> Bank me down to the Paradise City. Thank you. You can go to Stitcher dot com slash premium mm. and you can opt for either the monthly uh rate of four ninety nine dollars a month or thirty four ninety nine dollars a year and you can then enter the code sequelizers you know how to spell it and you'll get a discount on a free month on us and i genuinely recommend it. it's 138 episodes at the minute i'd go for all of them they're fucking great <laughs> start on 90 work backwards and work forwards but we wanted to do interesting learn some shit as you've been talking i'm prepared i feel like i've done my job and if you two do the same Hit me up on uh, Twitter. We'll talk about it now. Because as you're about to hear, I'm about to inject a fuck ton of Nietzsche into Star Trek. 
before you get carried away, Matthew, and get into your delightful, philosophical, and indeed deep, interesting pitch. Yeah. We do have a responsibility to discuss the Rotten Tomatoes scores of this delightful film. Yeah. And I have a little interesting twist to would it. Would you care for a rotten, rotten tomato? I would. I would. Romulan ale tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. What's the twist? I'm not going to be doing all 13 Star Trek films because fucking hell, we'd be here for <laughs> another hour and a half. Yeah. Put it in order of rating of these 13 movies. <laughs> fucking hell. So let's keep it simple. Okay. And as you touched on, Matthew, as we've all touched on, and as Mark originally touched on... Stop us touching things. Lots of touching mm. in the Paradise City. It's because we're in touch. Yes. With our fans. So, Rotten Tomato scores Matthew and Tim. Oh, okay. For Star Trek Four: Voyage Home. Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. And Star Trek Six: and so, Discovered yeah, Country. 456. 456, please. I-V-V-V-I. Correct. Uh, I'm going to just bash this up quickly and not think about it. 74. For Voyage Home? Yes. 23. Okay. 80. Okay. Tim? I any, any advances? going to go. 86. Okay. 39. Okay. 68. Ooh. I like how t- you don't see this audience, but Tim's hand Tim like was, a DJ. He was throw- <laughs> throwing down some rhymes. Very fucking cool. Tim, you're the closest with Star Trek IV, <laughs> The Voyage Home. Yes. 85% for The Voyage Home. Yeah, yeah. And Matt, you're much closer on 5 and 6. Okay. 22% Ooh. for The Final Frontier. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And 81% for Undiscovered Country. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Undiscovered Country is better than Voyage Home. So, would you like to <clears throat> guess, again, here's my twist. Okay. How many, or if you prefer, which of the Abrams movies are higher rated than Star Trek VI. So that is 81%. How many of the Abrams, the trilogy, as in 2009 mm. Star Trek, 2013's Into Darkness, and 2016's Beyond, mm. how many of those are higher rated than 81%? The Kelvin universe. The Kelvin universe. The Kelvinverse, exactly, mm. yes. yeah. How many of those are higher rated than 81% currently on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to jump in there. Okay. I'm going to say all of them. I, okay. was, I was going to say the same thing. Unfortunately, you are correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's no fucking way Into Darkness should be higher than this. Mm. Star Trek 2009 has a 94%. Ooh. I mean, I... I, I really like that I movie. liked it, but 94? Fucking hell. Is that mm. higher than Die Hard? I mean, it's around that kind of level. Fuck me. Die Hard's like 97 or something mm. ridiculous, isn't Okay. It? Into Darkness is 84, which is fucking too high. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like 20 points too high, in my opinion. Into Darkness has... Far too many problems. Into Darkness. Universe-breaking problems that make no fucking sense. the thing that removes the need for starships. We're just... Interplanetary fucking beaming. Yeah. Diseases with his super blood. And yeah. also Fuck cures off. death. Yeah. yeah. They cure death yeah. and make transporters negligible. Fuck you. Mm. And beyond, 86. Huh? Yeah. I, I think, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Weird to me. That just, that just melted my brain a little bit. Mm. It's a little unusual, isn't it? Because, again, Undiscovered Country is one of my favourite Star Trek films. Because... It's Cold War, and it's Star Trek, mm. and it's also space racism. And it's like, Kirk, you're a racist, Spacism. man. Spacism. So First Contact is 93%. I'm just going to... No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no this is, this I agree is with that. Yeah. Yeah. First Contact is fucking fantastic. Uh, motion Picture, 42. Um, mm. Wrath of Khan. The director's cut is a bit better because the visual yeah, effects are better. Yeah, yeah sure. It's Wrath fucking... of Khan, 87 I think that should be higher. higher. That's an all-time that's classic. I had assumed that would be the 94 or something. Yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. widely renowned as the best. Yeah. Mm. It looks cheap, but fuck, it's good. Yeah. Search for Spock, 80%. Then we've already talked yeah, about yeah, 85 yeah. for number four. Number five, 22. Number six, 81. Yeah. Generations, 47. 
No, I think the 50, 60 is probably yeah, fine. Yeah. That. First contact to 93. Yeah. Insurrection. Th- this better be fucking low. It's not as low as it should be. 55. No. Yeah, it should no. be lower than that. Nemesis. Uh, Nemesis is interesting. No, it's not. It's, it's bad. Because it's got some ideas going, but <laughs> it's dumb. Fuck you, Tom Hardy. 38% for Nemesis. I'm, I made some Whoa, people... Whoa, lower than... Mm. Yep. I, yep. Made, I made some people watch the trailer for Nemesis the other day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you they forced it upon them I like did. a clockwork orange scene. Yeah. Was that like 2002 or some shit? Bang on, sir. Oh well my done. Yeah. God. Yes. Yeah. Nemesis, a... not good. 18 years ago. Yes. We are old. So very old. Don't worry. We can address that in our Star Trek pitch. <laughs> Speaking of which... Shall we get into it? Would you like to hear our fix Star Trek? Please, Matthew. I would love to. Regale okay. us with your delightful philosophy. There's going to be tales. some real fucking shit here, gentlemen, because uh, from cast, people are going to be like, uh, no? So before we get into the pitch, there was something you brought up in in terms of casting, and I won't spoil your casting sure, just yet. Sure, no, 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 that's fine. But it was it felt like a very last-minute thing and it was a few days ago before recording yes but i'd I'd read through your pitch once and i tend to do like one or two goings on i get a kind of a first read through of everybody's pitches and then i'll do a second one and that and the second time is when i start making my notes that's typically how i do it and the first time i read it one of the characters was cast as this a particular actor yeah you can say that actor is it and then i can't remember the first actor it was kevin klein kevin klein that was it for some reason, I had uh, Kevin Costner in my brain. For oh, wow. An odd choice. He just holds his hand out and says, don't save me. <laughs> there we go. Man of Steel reference. For yep. And then you completely recast this character. I did. And I was like, with that, wait, with the same script? And you're like, <laughs> yes. Same script, same character. Go fuck yourself. I was like, okay. And the it- second time I read it, and then had the second actor, as you'll mention in a moment, yes. in my brain. I was like, huh. That's that's interesting. That's really fucking interesting. Yeah, having I didn't read it before that change happened, and I having read it now, I can't imagine it with Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein was Agreed. one of the strict choices. I thought he'd be great. He'd be quite charming. He'd be quite interesting. And then I was, he can't get across what I'm doing with this. Well, you will see in a minute, audience. But I needed someone who was going to be a little bit unhinged, <laughs> and, and Klein could and do and it. Brash and kind of yeah. yeah as and and, and Kevin Klein had just come out of a fish called Wanda, and I thought to myself. He could do that quite well. Yeah, yeah. He'd, he just won an Oscar for that. But but uh, yeah, let's 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 get to it. So let, yeah, let, let's dig in, shall we? Okay, Mr. Stokes. So the first thing we're moving is just a year later, 1990, because ILM need to be available. We need good effects for this shit because while it's Star Trek and it never really feels that crazy budget wise when some of what doing, I'm not going crazy. Oh, I make it you know a Star Wars film. It still needs to look fucking good. There's a moment where the fucking I think the Klingons fire at the Enterprise and it goes whoop (laughs) (laughs) it just moves out of the way and it looks looks like grab item move left it's like oh Jesus yeah it is the Enterprise dodges the shot and it's just like whoop and it just moves left it's just like it's a click and drag yeah the comparison I think I gave in the commentary was the idea of when Greedo shot Han and all the special edition movements where he goes whoop McClucky. <laughs> yeah. Dodges out the way. But it just, it looks fucking stupid. So we're in, we're in 1990. Now, originally I wanted John McTiernan for this because of reasons, but then I thought, no, then we can't have Hunt for October and I need Hunt for October <laughs> in my life. I can't, can't take that off him. So what I've done is I have selected Richard Donner. Richard I Donner. I love a good Dick Donner. Yeah. He's Superman, great. Goonies, yeah. all kinds of things. It does create here a very busy schedule for him. That was something I was going to bring up. Yeah. It makes him... Doing four films in four years. That's even trying to write, yeah. And again, I think it's entirely possible. I think he could definitely do it. Just work Dick Donner to death. I mean, 
he's already doing like the lethal weapons and stuff. Uh, lethal weapon, by the way, just a little fact for you. I mentioned about how uh, Star Trek had the same budget, or Star Trek Five, sorry, had the same budget as Ghostbusters Two of like thirty three, thirty five million dollars, or whatever it was going to be. Lethal Weapon 2, in the same year, had $50 million budget. Fucking hell. Holy crap. I don't know how or why, but there we go. Anyway, so Dick Donner. Um, and I think it's entirely possible. I genuinely he, he could do this quite well. Because even if he has to sacrifice yeah, one choice. of the Lethal Weapons, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. This is <gasps> going to be better for him. Yeah, I agree. So, I'm changing the title. Ah, okay. So you're not going on the final frontier anymore. I don't mind that as a title. Actually, I, I think it's fine, title. but I don't think it because the nature of Star Trek. I just don't think it works for the fact that mm. this isn't the last film and would never have been intended to be the last film. Yeah. So fuck that. I'm it, calling. It's as cheesy as calling it Star Trek Five to boldly go or something like that. Yeah, like, entirely. Mm, fuck off. Yeah. You can't have the like the line of your. No, no, not not the, quote the, the quotes. In the title. Yeah. So che- I've called it Star Trek Five, boldly. Go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've called it Star Trek V, The Stars Above. Now, yes, okay. that's also quite cheesy, but that actually is a reference Which to the get, final yeah. line of the film. Yeah, you'll get into yeah. it. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a thing. It'll make sense. It'll work in the same way that Undiscovered Country works. If you're actually like, I don't, I don't get it. It's like, yeah, because you haven't seen the film yet. Returning cast. It's the fucking returning Take cast. Take fucking guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, the main crew of the, the fucking crew. Enterprise. It's the fucking Enterprise crew. The Shats, the Neems... The DeForest the, Kells. The Kellys. The Kells. Yeah. The Nichols. The yeah. Dunes. The Dunes. And the other two. <laughs> New cast. Captain Neil Olsen. Here we go. This So this is the Kevin this Klein formerly, character. Formerly Kevin Klein. Actually, formerly you know Kevin Klein. I'm going to save that. Yeah, please do. Okay, yeah. That's, that's, that's the sexy let's go with uh, Let's go with some Klingons first. <laughs> There's three Klingons to go through. Okay. Captain Jakirk. Uh, this is Bernie Casey. Now, Bernie Casey, be like, who fucks Bernie Casey? It's literally what I thought when I saw this. He's down. the teacher from Bill and Ted. Yeah, hey, that guy. <laughs> I was like, oh, that guy. He's like, he's perfectly fine. He's Some around of the, the people 80s. you cast in these things and me going, oh, that guy. And that's kind of the yeah. point. When you're going with it, you can't like. Oh, he's a character actor. Yeah. Uh. Unless you're doing like Kenneth Branagh's Murder on the Orient Express or the pending sequel coming this year, I think. Oh, Death on the Nile. Yeah. Which is actually a better story. It might be interesting. But it's yeah. like, everyone's a fucking A-lister. It's like, it's, it's Star Trek. It'll be interesting. We'll go kind of interesting. Anyway, Bernie Casey. I think he'll do a good job as a, as a Klingon captain, a very angry, brash individual. Be fun. Admiral Colveth, another Klingon. Omar Sharif. I want someone like... And again, the same way we got like in Star Trek VI, you've got um, an un-Klingon-y kind of person in Christopher Plummer. It's like, mm-hmm. who's this? So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a charming motherfucker. And so, I think Omar Sharif could be like a nice, as an admiral specifically, being mm. this older, wiser, but still an aggressive, merciless Klingon sort of thing. I think that could be really, really interesting. I bet he'd have some fucking great facial hair in this. <laughs> Damn right he would. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. There's an immaculate, like, weird Klingon moustache things um, that erupt out of their I faces. think you haven't even considered the fucking eyebrows I'm slapping oh, on this oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, my God. Yeah. They'd be like Morgan Freeman in Dreamcatcher. Google it. Speaking, Speaking of, of which, which, Ambassador Vershush. Vershush. Hello, I am Ambassador Vir. Shush. <laughs> okay, so this but is... Ambassador. Shush. <laughs> Everyone knows the Klingons are like... <laughs> Keep it down. Famous for... <laughs> Famous for twitching curtains and... <laughs> um, right, this is going to sound like a really... Oh, whoa, that's a bit of an A-lister moment. It ain't. This is 1990, okay? He's only just come off of, like, driving Miss Daisy when he's got a bit of a... Uh, you know, a, 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 building up a bit of momentum, a bit of a presence, but yeah, momentum. Yeah. yeah, but he's not been in that many films in terms of like an A-listry kind of way. He's not God yet. No, he's not. No, definitely not. You should have cast him as God, man. Yeah, that maybe, maybe that's what's going to happen next. Year. It doesn't. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. The second time be great. he's appeared this season. Yeah. Like Evan Almighty. He was briefly in that, and then 
I mean, you didn't really have much of a choice with that. You're kind of stuck. Yeah, with... I was going to get the guy. Why from would you recast him? <laughs> <laughs> he was either dead or busy. I can't remember. <laughs> dead or busy, <laughs> or I didn't bother calling him. <laughs> I can't remember. He sat by the phone, looking, thinking, "Oh, Bruce Almighty, secret. somebody needs God. <laughs> somebody needs God. But that's me. What does God need with a, a Steve Carell?" <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So Morgan Freeman, and again. So we've got so far Bernie Casey, Omar Sharif, Morgan Freeman, Klingons. Cool. Klingon, Klingon, and another Klingon. Yeah. Sorted. Captain Leo Olsen. Here we go. Okay, now this individual is a very young actor. 1990, everybody. 1990. The year of my birth. Yes. He's just done a film called Prisoners of the Sun with George Takei. Oh my. Oh my. It is Russell motherfucking Crowe. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Russell Crowe, early 20s at this point. He looks just like fucking Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. He doesn't really, yeah. really age much. And there are lots of reasons why I picked Crowe. And when I had that epiphany, I thought, this is fucking genius. <laughs> but in the same way that if you say now, okay, who are you Not casting? Not to your own horn or anything. No, like no, no. I'm, I, as a Star Trek fan, I'm like, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is like the moment when Christian Slater's in the doorway relaying to Captain Kirk in 6. I'm like, why is Christian Slater here? Just a fan. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's the weird moment when you think to yourself, if you were to say now, okay, we're doing a Star Trek film. We're casting Chris Pine as, as Kirk. Chris Pine's in everything. Yeah, but he wasn't then. It was, it was big, but not that big. Okay, who's playing Kirk's dad? Chris Hemsworth. Thor, fuck off. <laughs> well, he wasn't Thor back then. No, I can only see it's Thor. It's too big. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. It makes complete sense. It's just an unknown dude at this point. It's an unknown Australian dude playing an American. He would have been perfect. That was going to be one of my questions. Mm. Is he playing an American or is he is he sticking with Aussie? I'm not going to lie. I kind of want him to be Australian. Yeah. But yes, let's face it, he's going to be American because I can't get Can you do his Robin Hood voice? Nottingham voice? Weirdly Irish uh. for no reason. <laughs> no. That'd be great. I'm, I'm going to have him full Roger Ailes makeup as well. What about his Javert? <laughs> Javert. He can sing all his lines. Stars. Really in your multitudes. <laughs> the stars above. Yeah, he sings the yeah, whole thing. He just sings the whole thing. La, 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 la. Staring directly into the camera. Straight to camera. <laughs> and dressed as Britney Spears. <laughs> so, if we're all nice and ready for some. Uh, I'm, I'm seated, long, I'm comfortable. A lot of ready. Star Trek to go. Prepare yourselves, listeners. This is maybe the longest of the season so far. So far. And it might be the longest of the season, full stop. It probably will be. It probably will be. It's not as um, long as my fucking Matrix pitch. Jesus. Nothing, nothing is. That was like 5,000 words. <laughs> okay. The veteran crew of the Enterprise A are on shore leave before the ship can be put out for regular duty. Kirk, Spock and McCoy are camping in Yosemite National Park and discuss Kirk's flippancy with life and sad, supposed death wish. Okay. So I'm kind of keeping it in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, keeping that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that like, bonding. Yeah, mm -hmm. the bonding moment and kind of like discussing, oh, we're all old men hanging out and going camping and reconnecting with nature because we're out in space for so long. And Check all out kind of my stuff. beans. <laughs> Check out my beans and my marshmallows and all this kind of I, stuff. I think most of that kind of works. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. As long as Kirk isn't climbing the captain mountain. He doesn't be coming El Capitan specifically, but he has to be doing something reckless. Yeah. It's like uh, yeah. fighting a bear or something. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> a really bad bloke in a costume bear. Russell Crowe. goes, <laughs> like the Gorn. I'll fucking fight you, mate. <laughs> I don't give a shit if you're a captain. I'm a fucking captain too. I'm 40 years younger than you, Val. I'll fucking have you. Yeah. And Cap obviously, Shetland wouldn't have that. No. Captain of the bear squad. <laughs> <laughs> This is rounded off when Kirk somberly explains that defiance of any divine fate has made him who he is. Profound. Mm. And arrogant. Yep. 
Their leave is interrupted when the entire crew are summoned by Starfleet Command for a rescue mission. The Central officer are briefed that an Andorian scientist has hijacked the USS Zaman, an experimental Federation science vessel only capable of warp six, with the delegation of Vulcan, Romulan, and human diplomats on board. For non-Trekkies out there... Mm. How does, how does the warps work? Is warp 6 fast for this era? Slow for this era? What's the plan? It's pretty... Uh, warp 6 is about 60 miles an hour. It's fast, but it's not like we can fly the ship apart. When in Star Trek 6, for example, Sulu's trying to get to the confrontation on time, and the whole ship is shaking. It's like, um, if we keep doing this, the whole we'll fly the ship apart. And Sulu, and the fucking amazing Sulu, says, then fly her apart. And he's like, you know, bomb it. Sulu's and the best. he's going like, warp 8 points, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Warp 9 is apparently like time travel and something stupid. But it's fast, but the Enterprise warp, can overtake them. 10 in Voyager. Oh, and everybody turns yeah. into newts. Yeah. And then they fart. Stupid yeah. bullshit. Yep. Yes. So, effectively, warp 6 is a fast speed, but the Enterprise can go faster in theory. So it should be like, they've got a day's ahead of, you know, they, they're ahead of you, they're going at a certain speed, so you can catch up to them right. and overtake that them makes if necessary. Sense. Yep. But it will have to be still like, a, you know, the urgency is still there. So there you go, Star Trek fans. To avoid an all-out war, the Enterprise crew is ordered to intercept. The, the ship works fine. <laughs> Just to clarify. The ship works fucking fine. Oh, and... no, we can't get the transporters because the... Oh, the doors have, keep closing have, on people. Have they not got any doors? Stop tripping over the wires on the floor. All that shit is fine. It's fucking fine. It, the, the, it's oh, no, the cameraman's fallen over. <laughs> and I've not loaded up my iron brew. <laughs> So to avoid all that war, the Enterprise crew is ordered to intercept. McCoy thinks the whole thing is damn peculiar, but Spock explains the logic fits. Scott, Uhura, Sulu, and Chekhov grumble about their cancelled leave. On Kronos, the Klingon High Council deliberate on an intercepted communication from Ambassador Vershush, Shush. a religious zealot known for defying the Empire, to a Federation Captain Neil Olsen. That's our Imhotep slash... That's definitely going to be a song. Vershush is the new, <laughs> the new one for this mm-hmm. episode. They believe he has possibly defected to Starfleet and must be apprehended at all costs. It is agreed that he must die, but there is disagreement about burying this or publicly executing him. The Chancellor decrees that a single unit led by Admiral Colveth, an uncharacteristically calm Klingon, will intercept and retrieve the ambassador, but covertly destroy the vessel. A motion is passed and Colveth leaves for his ship. At the same time, a few frustrated Klingon generals are insulted by what they consider an act of cowardice and message ahead to a bird of prey that's in the vicinity to wipe out the USS Zaman. Just very quickly, in the commentary we make a point saying, oh, it's the fucking Voyager probe. Because it's like, oh, there's just a random cocky young thing. It's not. Apparently it's it's the uh, Pioneer 10 or something. So it does make sense, but it's still bullshit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Makes sense, but bullshit. But bullshit. Welcome to Star Trek. Yeah. The Enterprise crew track down the Zaman and learn their heading is the boundary marking the centre of the frickin' universe. Yeah. Oh my god. An uncharted area of central space that scrambles all tech and no ship has ever returned from it. So I've done the thing. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Scott, make Scott says, Why in the blazes would we going to go in there? It's certain death. <laughs> Kirk, having recently been challenged about flippancy of life, explains it's the literal final frontier. Ooh, Matthew. <laughs> but I didn't name it in the title. Good. <laughs> and he too must boldly go. <laughs> and he too has wondered what is on the other side, but has never risked his crew to find out. McCoy says the day is young. Kirk then reminds them that it wasn't too long ago they were all hunted by Starfleet, and to potentially give those aboard the Zaman the benefit of the doubt. Scott and Spock work on hypotheses as to why the Andorian would want to go to the boundary and can only assume it is to somehow harness the supposed power within. So from this point, we know, as in the audience, what we think the Klingons' reason is what's going on. 
what the audience think is happening, or so the Klingons think is happening, but also what Starfleet think is happening. So we're not in, we haven't seen the Zaman, so we don't know either. We, we just know what the you Klingons think. Two different what, reports, yeah. kind of mixed yeah. messages, that kind of thing. Yeah, kind of like Hunt for October. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sort of. Anyway, so. In that moment, a red alert is sounded when the Enterprise is attacked by a bird of prey led by Captain Jakirk. After a tense dogfight, the Enterprise manages to knock out their power. Following their time aboard a bird of prey in the last two films, they know roughly where to target Makes and that sense. sort of stuff. Yep, tying it back. And transport aboard. The Klingons put up a fight with lots of close quarters combat. With the ship largely cleared and the remaining crew under, held under phaser point, Uhura chuck, uh, checks the ship's computer and learns the Klingon orders contradict their own. The away team then activate the distress beacon, lock Jakirk and his men in the brig, and evacuate the ship. Back aboard the Enterprise, making up for lost time, Uhura translates the mission log. Learning the details of who is actually captaining the Zaman, Chekhov and Sulu recognise Captain Olsen from a tragedy at Starfleet Academy, saying he was very much like Kirk, but became driven when his entire class was killed in a shuttle accident. Spot- I should point out, sorry Tim, mm. they weren't at, uh, that, uh, at the Academy with this guy, mm. they just know of him because they were like giving lessons and stuff while they were there. Mm. I do apologise, just in case it comes up later about ages. Because yeah, yeah. Chekhov and Sulu are old as fuck. <laughs> Carry on. Oh my... Spock voices his concern about catching the Zaman before it crosses the barrier, explaining that despite all logical reasoning, there is no way to know what lies beyond. Talk about the Enterprise experiencing the irregularities of nebulas in the past gives rise to the unknowable physics of how gravity, matter and time could be affected. McCoy compares the whole thing to ancient explorers encountering sea monsters and fearing falling off the edge of the Earth. (laughs) Kirk, who hasn't really been paying attention, is consumed with trying to figure out why Starfleet wouldn't tell them the truth from the start. Like tying it back to the like ancient explorers kind of thing that's yeah. thematically appropriate for boldly going where no man has gone before and all that kind of stuff. Big like, ship like, wheel. Yeah. <laughs> Just a random wheel in the in the room where we're all talking about stuff. Yep. Because of reasons. Hmm. Jekirk's stranded bird of prey is found by a warbird, headed by Admiral Colveth. Colveth comes aboard and scolds Jekirk for acting rashly, jeopardizing the mission, and not dying with honour, like a cowardly, cowardly boy. Hmm. He does, however, acknowledge that by following the orders of the generals above them, they have shown loyalty to their house. Placing Jakirg in the captain's chair, Colveth smiles politely, which unnerves the... Beaming back to his ship, Colveth coldly orders the destruction of the bird of prey before making his way to the boundary at maximum warp. On Kronos, several of the scheming generals are kidnapped and brought to a snowy mountain range. The generals try to save face by shouting, Only Kronos endures and Forkeless! and they are kicked through the erupting jet of a cryo-volcano and freeze before shattering on the other side. Mm. I like that visual. It's a mm. nice... Very uh, Demolition Man. Very, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Good, <laughs> good call, Tim. That's yep. done. The Enterprise catches up with the USS Man and hails them. They're surprised to find a very polite and welcoming crew and invite them aboard. Kirk... That's not Russell Crowe. It can be. Polite and inviting. It's called acting. Uh, <laughs> mm. Is it, though? Yeah, that early in his career, yeah. <laughs> Back when he could act. It's before Romper Stomper, so yeah. <laughs> Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scott beam over, leaving Sulu in charge. Leaving Sulu mm-hmm. in charge. Yes. That's how it should be. Sulu's the best. And it also explains why he's a captain in the next film as well. Because mm-hmm. he's yeah, of course yep. he is. Yep. Kirk asks about the Andorian, but learns that the Klingon mission briefing was actually closer to the truth than theirs. Far from a hostage mission, Captain Olsen explains that his ship is an experimental in nature and a collaborative effort between Klingons and Federation scientists. Ooh. Kirk is then introduced to the spokesman for the Klingons, Ambassador Vershush. Olsen and Vershush 
explained that the Zaman will eventually be capable of time travel, and this is why there is only a skeleton crew aboard. Imagining all of his like Klingon subordinates are just like Ambassador Vishush, and they'll go. It's like he's towering Klingon. No, you don't see him until he says it, and then they appear over shoulder. Shush, and so it's like a batleth. They're heading to the boundary to harness the energy to power their time warp core, which the away team then inspect. Let's do the time warp core. Shush. Let's not. <laughs> Scott marvels at the technology. Spock finds it fascinating, but McCoy cautions against meddling with the course of history. Olsen counters that he is merely following in Kirk's footsteps and was always inspired by Kirk and his escapades. Olsen starts a quote by Nietzsche, which Vashush finishes. Shush. Live dangerously. Build your cities on the slopes of Vesuvius. Send your ships into uncharted seas. Live at war with your peers and yourselves. Vashush adds Vashush. that he believes Nietzsche should have been born Klingon. That's pretty fucking appropriate. Mm. I mean, Nietzsche's pretty Klingon. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. pretty good. On the walk back to the transporter room, Kirk and McCoy feel old. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> they complain about their backs and say that the buses don't run as regularly as they should. And there's too many Klingons around here because they're racist as fuck. Is Kirk ra- as ra- He's not as racist as Kirk's McCoy, racist you as assume fuck. he is. He, yeah. he hates Klingons. Yeah. I mean, Kirk, I mean Kirk a, is... a Klingon killed his son, so he hates all of them, well, is sense. racism. Yeah. K- Kirk hates the Klingons virulently but then doesn't mind everyone else. Whereas McCoy just hates everyone at a low level. <laughs> yeah. But really hates Spock. Because yeah. he's a little too close you to Kirk. You blooded hobgoblin. You goddamn inhuman, ball-sucking, motherfucking, piece of shit, Vulcan dick. Thanks. You and, you and your Vulcan bankers that control the world economy. <laughs> I've seen you. Oh, fucking Isn't that a Ferengi? McCoy. <laughs> oh, dear. Kirk and McCoy do feel old. But they're also thinking about their exploits. They're already inspiring a younger generation of Starfleet captains. I like that little little moment there. They're feeling so old, they're like, fuck. Oh, God, they're people we're inspiring. That's not a good thing. This can't be a good <laughs> thing. It's it's kind of like in, in generations where they're like, when Chekhov says, I was never that young. It's like, you were younger. It's like, you literally were younger when you were in this. Oh, yes. Of course. I was still 50 because I've always been 50. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, what did you think would happen? You guys are like fucking infamous. Yeah. Of course people are going to be inspired by yeah. what you've done. I'd imagine this moment in the soundtrack we have Losing My Edge by LCD Sound System just like playing underneath. I like it. But also no, Jerry Goldsmith or nothing. <laughs> Jerry Goldsmith version of yeah. LCD Sound I'm System. I'm on board. <laughs> Spock goes further, adding that the cavalier attitude of their younger days may give rise to an entire wave of emboldened officers who feel rules are made to be broken and worried that Vishush's Nietzschean in principles could be dangerous, making comparisons with World War II and the quote, to those human beings who are of any concern to me, I wish suffering, desolation, sickness, ill-treatment and indignities. Upon returning to the Enterprise, Kirk admits he doesn't understand why Olsen and his crew are being hunted down, but suspects the Klingon ambassador is to blame. Because of course he fucking does. Which ambassador is that? Avir. Shush, shush, shush. Spock cites Federation regulations that state they are duty-bound to deter the ship from their work until the Admiralty rules the mission acceptable. McCoy gets frustrated and highlights that until recently, Jim used to be an Admiral himself and made some of the worst decisions at that rank, doesn't denote intelligence. Calling back to previous film and, yep, makes sense. Yep. Yep, yep. It's like, the best we got, Jim, I need need Jim Kirk. It's like, he was an Admiral until recently. Who would you have got in the normal (laughs) days? 
Kirk sardonically thanks Bones for his candor. <laughs> that sums up their relationship yep. entirely. With some Star Trek moments. Before they can come to a conclusion, the Zaman powers up its thrusters and passes through the barrier. Those sneaky bastards. Oddy uh, bastards. <laughs> Uhura relays a simple message from the other ship stating, I'm sorry, this is for the good of us all. Unable to mobilize fast enough, the Enterprise crew watch the science vessel disappear and then debate whether to pass the barrier or not. Before Kirk can give the order to pursue, the Klingon warbird decloaks and opens communication with the Enterprise. With shields raised and torpedoes primed on one another, Colveth demands to speak with Vashush. Kirk explains that the ambassador is on a collaborative mission and the Zaman has already passed the barrier. Colveth corrects him and states that Vashush is acting of his own accord without consent of the council. Kirk tries to negotiate further, but his brazen attitude to Klingons is apparent. He's a calling back. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you could defuse this situation, but he can't because he can't hide who he is and so. He has a t-shirt that says, whoa, go whoa, climb whoa, a rock, whoa, you whoa, cling whoa, on whoa, fuck. Whoa, 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 whoa. Captain Kirk has flaws? Since when? <laughs> flaws, but not fears. Ah, okay. That's the important bit. Colveth explains this is not a Federation matter and passes the barrier. Left without a choice, the Enterprise follows. So they don't just kind of give up and just go for no reason like they do in the original. They Seemingly actually, not. actually have a reason actually to a mission. follow other missions and stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Motivation and urgency. Inside, systems such as shields aren't responsive. Passing through the electrical storm and a momentary period of weightlessness, the crew see the two ships facing a small planetoid at the centre. I, I really liked that idea of having the gravity go out on the ship mm. and have them actually float around for a bit, which they never do on Star Trek. Yeah, they did it in uh, literally as part of the, of the assassination attempt in, in Undiscovered Country. Mm. But other than that, it's like some things you just assume are always going to work. Like recently in the Discovery episode, the Universal Translator stops working and it's like... Mm. This so good. is yeah. great. Why don't we discover these things all the time? Yeah. So it's a, it's one of those things that is so easy to pick mm. out in a sci-fi thing. Set on spaceships, like, mm. how do we create tension? Turn off the gravity. <laughs> That's an easy way. And Oh, the, the systems aren't working. Mm. There's another thing. Like, and it's a fun, interesting thing to have break down because of the area of space they're going into rather than just having the doors not fucking work. <laughs> Prang. Yeah, oh. I must admit, this is all based on a Nietzschean principle as well about the idea of God is dead. I'll be quick because ultimately the fear is what if you had we have a human solution for carrying heavy things because heavy things are annoying which becomes carts or rickshaws or whatever it's going to fucking be or bags or something or why can't I hold all these fields <laughs> <laughs> because you're ill-equipped human but at the same time um, what happens if one day you woke up and they didn't work and there's no alternative? You would just freak out. So, for example, all the things we take for granted in Star Trek, what happens if they just stop working? Like, yeah, life support, and it's always like, oh my god, the computer's blurring and there's fucking fuses. But what happens if you just literally can't walk properly? <laughs> Carry on. Spock relays that while his equipment is proving difficult to read, he can confirm that the mass is in fact not a planet, but a coiled-up creature mm. that senses indicate is as old as the universe itself. Uhura states that's impossible, but Spock corrects her by saying that while it may seem unimaginable, it is in fact entirely possible, Captain. Slash Uhura. <laughs> she can be Captain Winner. <laughs> Chekhov quotes old Russian mythology, of course he does. Yep. About Zemeir Goranich. Yeah, Zemeir Goranich. Yep. And McCoy figures the boundary could effectively be a prison for this being. Zemeir Goranich is like a big three headed dragon, like King Ghidorah kind of stuff. So, sort of really. Oh, well, it depends on different versions of the lizard, but it's actually just like a giant, terrifying lizard thing. Tying back to uh, have the Hannibal episode, it oh, also yeah. ties into the Red, red dragon, dragon theory as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I did lots of Red Dragon research. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
The Enterprise hails the Zaman, but gets no response. Upon hailing the Warbird, Colveth and Kirk share a brief truce and pull their information. Kirk begrudgingly explains about the Time Warp Core, and Colveth explains about Vershush and his zealots trying to release an ancient elder creature to rule the universe. Uh, I've gone a bit fucking Lovecraft. <laughs> we noticed. McCoy explains that this being could wipe out all life in the universe. Spock counters that it is possible this being could have created all life in the universe. Interesting. And then you have Cap walk in and say, there's only one god, man. Doesn't look like that. <laughs> <laughs> the brief discussion of agency over cosmic destiny and the concept of knowing the universe is cut short when Colveth senses there's a man once again engaging its thrusters. The warbird then fires a torpedo, but this only serves to wake the behemoth. Remaining coiled, the creature tenses up and a shockwave is released, which decimates the Klingon ship. Before being consumed by the approaching plasma energy, the Zaman powers up the time warp core and everything resets to when the Enterprise first entered the barrier. Seemingly, only Kirk, Spock, McCoy and Mr. Scott are aware of this. Events unfold exactly as before and the ship is once again decimated, then restored. I love a good time loop. Good. Who doesn't Nicely. love a time loop? Everybody loops. loves a good time loop. I directed a film with a time loop. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Of course yeah. you did, yeah. Titan's Eagle. That's true, yeah. yeah, yeah. Enjoy. Um, can they enjoy that anywhere, Matthew? Yeah, it's on YouTube at the minute. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, Titan. cool. Yeah, go, go to YouTube. Titan's Eagle's good. Out. Titan's yeah. Eagle, Cheese Mint. Check it out. Yeah. It's, it's miserable fun. as fuck. It is. Yeah. Has some deep philosophical questions in there as well. Yeah, it's literally me doing yeah. this kind of stuff. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. yeah. And uh, were you at all inspired by the uh, time warpy stuff in Discovery at all? There's, there's a couple of every there's, science there's, there's fiction a few, like, a few loops show in has the potential for a few things, and one of them is a time warp thing. One of them, is, sorry, time loop, time warp, time loop thing. I should say one is a body switching thing. Um, one is a communication thing. There's all kinds of things that are sort of like a standard for almost everything. Mm. But yeah, there's, uh, Stargate is a really good one. Ooh, Stargate yes. SG ones good. Good call. With Teal getting smashed in the face with the door every single time. <laughs> and Fruit Loops. A porridge even. <laughs> Spock realises that the away team coming into proximity with the Time Warp core must have affected their harmonic frequencies, allowing them to retain their memories before the minor time jump. Yadi Good techno-bubble. Techno-bubble bullshit. Techno-bubble. Yeah. We're, we're there. It's Star Trek, everybody. McCoy mm. doesn't understand why there's a man doesn't go back further in time, but Spock remembers that Olsen needed to harness more power. Maybe they can only go back so far. Events reset once more, only this time Kirk orders Sulu to the specific coordinates to block the Warbird's path. With shields not functioning, the Enterprise takes the direct hit and suffers extreme damage. In critical condition, Kirk hails both the science vessel and the Warbird. Olsen uses Kirk's career as an example of how the past and even death can be rewritten, but Kirk talks about how bringing Spock or a once extinct species back is not the same as reviving someone like his son David. Just as Kirk seems to get through to the younger captain, Vrshush, Vrshush interrupts in Klingon, furious that the entire operation is being jeopardised by the actions of the warbird and that the search for knowledge has reached out for it, its due. Now, that's a, another Nietzsche quote, basically. Um, that knowledge will reach out for its due. Um, not knowing exactly what is going on, Colveth feels disrespected and impetuously orders this crew to fire on the Zaman, regardless of the consequences. Unable to manoeuvre in time, the Enterprise watches on as the Zaman is destroyed. The explosion of the experimental time warp core jettisons both remaining ships from the barrier. So, Star Trek VI does a, a, a visual effect that's never been done before called the, the Praxis. 
War, I think it's called, perhaps Shockwave or whatever it's called. It was only like a year after. It's an ILM were developing, obviously, that we were going to do those kind of effects. So when Sulu says, Shields, Shields, mm-hmm. like bloody hell. Um, and there's a main bit that the Shockwave just pushes the ship and it looks like it's been battered aside. Mm. That visual, basically, and swipe out through the nebula. If you needed to know. We did. With Shields once again operational, both the Enterprise and the Warbird power up and prepare for the ancient entity to emerge. After a tense few moments, Spock posits that the creature is likely still stum- slumbering and must have been unfazed by the event. McCoy thanks God. Spock again quips that he may have indeed met his God. Ooh. Of course he says, You goddamn <laughs> green-blooded fucking asshole. <laughs> Before McCoy and Spock can get into a fight, Kirk silences them because the Warbird's weapons are now targeting the Enterprise and the standoff continues. Colveth hails the Enterprise and explains that whatever is beyond the barrier is a clear threat to the Klingon Empire. Kirk corrects him and says it's a threat to the entire universe. Colveth proposes to report back that the Klingons intercepted the USS Zaman before the Enterprise could arrive. Kirk reluctantly agrees, and following an uneasy retreat, Kirk admits to McCoy that he doesn't feel he can trust any Klingon. Surprise, surprise. Mm. Watching the ship depart, Kirk prepares his false log for the Admiralty, stating the mission was a failure and both the crew and technology were lost. (laughs) While the Enterprise A is being overhauled, the crew's shore leave is permitted to continue, and Kirk, Spock and McCoy, the holy trinity of Star Trek, Mm. resume their delightful little camping trip in Yosemite Park. Marshmallow. Marshmallows. My God, a marshmallow. (laughs) What do we do with these marshmallows? We eat them. I know, you goddamn fucking freak. (laughs) What bit of my body do I put them in? Your butt. (laughs) Do you eat with your butt, you goddamn (laughs) hobgoblin? Kirk muses that this was all his fault. His cavalier attitude has given precedence and credence for others to follow in his path of disobedience. That's a hell of a sentence, Matthew. Precedence and credence following in the disobedience. <laughs> yeah, but imagine it being said by Shatner. My uh, precedence and credence, credence for my brothers to follow in this obedience. <laughs> you yes, say precedence, I say precedence. <laughs> Don't ever correct Sabotage. <laughs> Spock says that encountering an entity of vast indifference proves that Kirk's actions are insignificant and he shouldn't feel responsible. McCoy translates that as a compliment and reminds Jim that it is the stars. The stars above us govern our conditions. The moment is broken when Spock coldly adds King Lear, Act 4, Scene 3. And with that, the three men try to enjoy their night under the stars and their marshmallows. (laughs) Rutting like it's fucking broke back. (laughs) Broke back Spock. Spock Back Mountain! There we go. We did it. (laughs) Trek Back Mountain. So anyway, that's my fix for Star Trek. It's a bit of a bold one because... I boldly go there. Boldly go, Matthew. Damn right. I boldly went there. Yeah. Um, Because it does say, hang on, you just made a huge giant space god. And I'm like, yeah, I did. So yeah, with the the space god, they just kind of leave it there. Yeah, it's very un-Star Trek, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit like, do we not need to... Should we deal with that? Maybe deal... Not necessarily deal with that, but like... Let somebody know. And I know they kind of agree to be like, let's agree to not tell anybody. But mm. there is a fucking space god out there that is just kind of hanging out and not doing much. But yeah. eventually it might do. And I guess that's just a nice little kind of like tease for a potential future it, thing. Yeah, it's but, more... I think the... I mean, again, it could be come back in another thing. Who knows? I mean, this turn, I mean, just, why isn't Kirk punching in the face? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't fight... Again, I've got to add this. A photon to- torpedo going down to the surface would have killed everyone there. The torpedo would be huge. Yeah. How is it maybe like, just like, I'll fire it here. It's not like a fucking grenade. Oh, Death Star. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. 
So, yeah, it's a tricky one because ultimately the, the idea of science should be that, no, keep investigating. But I think the fear is important. And but Kirk has no fears. <laughs> he does well now. established. He does now. Oh. Um, and again, they've met things in the past before, which I think, but I think the fear is less in this case, and it would, it would work out in dialogue and things at the end of the film, the little camping thing. It's less the idea of like, well, why don't we go fix it? Why don't we go solve this problem? Why don't we go like, you know, detain the creature? It's like, well, maybe this is a prison. It's already been detained by something, you know, Eternals mm. have already set up or who mm. the fuck knows what. Mm. But more importantly, we went back in time in the original series and also, a, you know, a hot minute ago in the mm. last film and already they're trying to replicate it. Already they're trying to do mm. what we did and recklessly. Mm. And then it's like, yeah, but we didn't exactly do it with any fucking... We threw caution to the wind. Mm. Scott and fucking McCoy have a brief moment saying, should we be telling him about transparent aluminum or aluminium? And he says, how do we know he didn't invent the thing? And I was like, oh yeah. It's like, Are you, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> That's your fucking worry about, you know, oh, I'll sell these glasses. Won't they a gift from McCoy? That's the gift. There'll be, the, be a gift again. No, they won't. That's not how that works. <laughs> um, it's, it's so surreal. Uh, and I think the idea that a little bit of maturity, like maybe we should... In all our adventures, you know, the original series and the previous films, every, I, in my opinion, every single film up to five is always everything you do in space will come back and bite you in the ass. Mm -hmm. The first one, Vija, it's like, whoops. <laughs> Second, Khan, you marooned him and you never checked up on him. Whoops. Three, I had a space kid and I didn't check up on him ever again. Whoops. <laughs> Four, whales died <laughs> whoops well we were looking out at space yeah it's like what, did you check your own backyard no we fucked that shit up and what was happening the whole time they were sending sonar things like into space to speak to, to like aliens space whales I was like oh whoops <laughs> and that's the whole point I, I want it to be literally the, the continuation of we have constantly dropped the ball here and this is just another example of maybe we shouldn't tell anyone this is here and, and I know that's again the end of season one or two of Discovery, which is again a very questionable Star Trek thing, is like, is this actually Star Trek now? Because I did wrestle with this idea, but it's like it's better than shooting God in the face with a torpedo. Mm. Well, it's it's interesting because you mentioned you've got some kind of Lovecraftian ideas there, sure. a big space god, yes, coiled up and sleeping, um, and in a sense, like because. Star Trek is founded on that kind of, you know, almost like enlightenment ideals of like, like we'll go out and we'll discover and we'll see what mm. there is to see and we'll, you know, discover and understand it. And Lovecraft comes very much from a like, no, there are things that you are not meant to know. So if you try to understand this, you will go insane and yeah. kill yourself. And everything so, that they think is indifferent to you because you don't, you don't matter. Yeah. So in a way, they kind of almost like don't work as two. They're they're two flavors that don't work. Well That's together. true. That's true. But I've also, sampled one. at this point, you would be either it would be on air or just about to come on air mm. next generation. And so you have the idea of the prime directive, which yes. is basically like leave shit alone, leave shit alone. And yeah. so um, which is basically what they do here. They kind of like they go to disturb it and then they're like, actually, let's not. <laughs> yeah. I also like the idea that it's like the final frontier being the boundary of the, the edges of the universe. The unknown mm. is like. Did you look right in the middle? It's like, no, the yoke is not for looking at. <laughs> it is concentrated evil. <laughs> um, <coughs> again, I like the with idea the, possibly with, doing it. With all the quotes in this, I can't believe there's not some fucking uh, the widening gyre oh. centre cannot hold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
again, I had to stop myself writing more and more quotes. I'm the idea of like looking into the abyss and the abyss looking back. Oh, there are so many things, especially with Nietzsche and stuff, and all various bits and pieces. Mm. But um, yeah, ultimately, you kind of have to stop somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to the time traveling bits you mentioned, like, yes. yeah, we've already traveled time traveled a couple of times. Yeah. And and Kirk makes that point. You know, it's bringing the whales back and bringing Spock back and is different to bringing his son back. Yes. How how would he communicate that to Olsen in that way? Because time travel is essentially wibbly-wobbly, mm. let's slingshot around the sun, fuck it, we yes. don't know what we're doing. There aren't any rules for time travel, so... Mm. Does he know? He doesn't know. I guess that's Kirk being. It's Kirk, Kirk. playing it by the seat of his pants. Yeah. It's him say, basically saying, look, look, because again, Kirk has the ability, in theory, because of the technology he's experienced, all the things he's done, it's like, you brought Spock back from the dead. It's like, doesn't count. Planet was being birthed again, and, and his ghost was in McCoy. He's like, uh, okay. That's the thing. And we're going back to bring Wells back from the dead, which made completely change of the ecosystem for Earth. And for some reason, we're just doing it because it's important, I guess. I said, like, well, why didn't you just travel back in time and save your son from dying? Isn't that really important? It's like, some things, in, in the whole, I need my pain, some things need to stay that way. Some things you shouldn't mm. meddle with. And if you did come back, the, I mean, the experience of bringing a couple, literally two whales forward in time, or alternatively, Spock, who's already on this weird planet. Anyway, it's again, that's like, not time travel with Spock. It's a weird no, exactly, spiritual yes, journey yeah. Vulcan thing. I think yeah. that, that's less about the elements of time travel. More, I think he's trying to get across to Olsen, who, let's face it, the only reason Olsen is doing this, I don't know if I made it clear enough in the script, he's going back to save his cadet class ah. from the shuttle explosion. That, I think that was one of your notes, wasn't it, That Tim? was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, sorry, so... I was, yeah. So he mentioned about the, that Sulu and, and and Chekhov know his name because he's the sole survivor mm. of this this horrible accident, basically. Mm. You're like, oh, fuck. That's pretty nasty. And again, I know it sounds like a bit of a insensitivity to say this, but we're still quite close to the, the, the Challenger thing happening mm. fairly yeah, around yeah, the time. Yeah. So people in their subconscious were like, yeah, if I could go back in time, I'd stop mm. that happening. There were teachers on that. It was horrible. Mm. It was a general public. And so, yeah, if you could save... If you were the only... If you had a PTSD situation where he was the only survivor, and I, that's why, again... Russell motherfucking crow mm. could give you the level of like hi you know I'm, I'm on the ship and it's, it's quite but then just give you a wide-eyed stare of i'm fucking crazy <laughs> and also it feels like a young kirk sort of mm. energy yeah, and you yeah, think definitely. that could work yeah. quite well but it's solely like look this nutbag here has his own <laughs> he has his own sort of um reasons and motive for doing this we have a temporary sort of weird alliance to make mm. this this sort of thing work Primarily because I need to make things right. And it's like... And that kind of comes across in that conversation. That's why Cobb like, what the fuck are you all babbling about? Mm. Get the fuck out of my way. Because as much as he's a calm Klingon... Excuse me, I'm burping. As much as he's like a calm Klingon, he's still like Omar Sharif and he's going to be that that wizened style, mm. uh, still quite threatening, dominating personality. Mm, right. He's still going to be like, I'm a Klingon and this bullshit is done. I'm blowing this shit up. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this shit. So, because obviously we start out and we don't know, we get conflicting reports about what everyone is up to. And, yes. And there's Confusion. quite a few agendas at play. So, the Klingons, which represented by Vashush and mm. the Federation, have been working together on this ship. And then, at some point, mm. Olsen, who was kind of in charge of it, possibly with Vashush kind of whispering in his ear. Yeah decided to kind of hijack it and it's take it's it. more the idea that 
Olsen han, uh, has been working with Starfleet on the ship mm. and he has opened a link of communication with Vishush because they still think they can't figure out how to power it. And mm. he is like, I know a guy. Okay, yeah, he's a Klingon. And we don't really work with him and we shouldn't be open to technology, mm. but he knows the way to do it and it's to harvest his power. Now, okay, he's a bit of a zealot, a little cyborg mm. in a way. And, but I, I, I like what you say. And there's a sort of almost like you don't know why Vashush is after this sort of thing. I think it's to go back and make sure the Empire is stronger and all the different things mm. he needed would need to do. And also because he's a bit crazy and let's face it, he's in a cyborg kind of way. He's been warped by the dream of what this thing could be. So would He's you... projected his ideas of what this god is. So is it more about them gathering the energy for the time travel? Or, yeah, to power the or, actual... to, or to unleash the thing in the, the creature? That's, that's where it becomes a, a bit of a, a, a mixed agenda uh, and a conflict. Mm. So the idea would be that... that Olsen is there solely to harvest the power. Mm-hmm. And if I'm honest with you, in an almost mm-hmm. Renfield-y kind of way uh, from, from Bram Stoker's Dracula, yep. um, Vashush is there just to see said power. He wants to witness this creature in in a way that the greatest Godzilla comic that Jack introduced me to. <laughs> Half-Century War. Exactly. By James Stoker. Just one embittered soldier who wants to be seen and noticed by Godzilla and yeah. Godzilla just didn't give a fuck mm, yeah. and that's the the idea of that, that thing it's like mm. you can like see uh, that's the arrogance of all the Starfleet cling on everything it's like witness me universe and the universe is like I don't give a shit mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like that idea that mm. you know the stars are the stars mm. and space is terrifying yeah uh, in, in a lot to, again it's the questions in a way that Star Trek V is already asking mm. it's just I want to put something that's more entertaining behind them. I really like the casting. I, I um, agree. My, um, both of our first notes are like mm. fantastic casting. But part of me almost mm. thinks it might work better if you switched the Omar Sharif and the Morgan Freeman roles. Oh, interesting. That could work. Because I can see Omar Sharif working very well as someone who the is... Zealot. Both a zealot, but also like a let me just have a word in your ear and like mm. maybe here's a good idea for you and have. I think you're right. I think from an audience point of view, Omar Sharif has more impact because they know him. Yes, certainly at that. Point. But I do for the purpose of the role, I completely get that, and I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Yeah. I think I wouldn't want to say they're necessarily interchangeable, but mm. I think you're right. They both could work. It would in be roles. it would be bringing different aspects out of yeah. those characters. I think they could work quite nicely. Yeah, I'd be interested to see a. Yeah, I say young, younger Morgan Freeman. Still a hundred years old at this point. <laughs> he's always he's perpetually old. Yeah, like the entire crew of the mm. Enterprise. To see him be Colveth will be interesting because he very mm. much is like reinforcing the Klingon like status quo and the honor and being this angry like badass Klingon Again, kind of guy. So he's only just on Drive Miss Daisy. People yeah. know him now. He's exactly he's yeah. got a spotlight on him. Yeah, no, I, I think that Whereas could be quite interesting. Modern day Morgan Freeman, I would think. Clearly, he's the ambassador rather than the captain. Like, mm. it, God Morgan Freeman, for one of that phrase, yeah, modern yeah. day Morgan Freeman, makes more sense as the kind of quieter, whispery, no, I, zealoty I, kind of guy. But I like maybe, it. Yeah, maybe young Morgan Freeman, you're right, Tim, would work in, in, in a different dynamic as mm. Colveth instead. Mm. Which I, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm genuinely open to that. That's good. Speaking of the Cleons, yeah. Um, I feel like the interaction with Jakurg yes. is a bit anticlimactic. They kind of like it is very brief. Yeah, beat them up and then leave them on their own ship in the brig. Yes, wouldn't do they not like capture them and like you're prisoners of Starfleet now or like bring them onto their own brig or something? No, it's like, it's the classic idea of um the sort of honourable British sailor mindset, which is not actually true of history at all. Which is <laughs> um, 
the idea of Star Trek writers don't know that's right. Yeah, so mm. we're not we're not we're not pirates. We're we're not going to kill you. We're going to leave you here. We'll just take all your stuff literally and literally activate your self. You know your 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 um distress not self, signal. Not self destruct. That's murder. Yeah, and then you know you'll be locked up, and then your people come get you. It's basically a lifeboat with a, again. If we think of it more like a Cold War film. Um, so it's a Cold War film with... Um, so that's a fucking running theme and a half of <laughs> yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. And this one specifically, again, is a Cold War submarine film, basically. Again, Hunter October. October yeah. So it's just a case of they've been, you know, they board the other vessel, go aboard and like, well, we're not going to kill you because we're not, that's not what Starfleet's about, technically, in a, in a weird way. Or they is at they times. do kill Klingons all the time. I know, sure. I know. Um, but it's it's, like Batman doesn't kill, but he lets people die. Yeah. And that's different because reasons. A lot of head trauma. Then we don't go on the ship and kill them. We just blow up the ship full of people, <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah. So they they act they, they 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 shoot the ship effectively to, to um, neutralize it. I did like that you tied it back into the. They've been on Klingon mm-hmm. ships before. They know how this works. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And they they're like right. This this won't work. Now it'll be a drift in space. But they're still dangerous. So we're gonna go aboard and steal their plans and find out what they were doing. It's it's not you know completely without hmm. like also because they're on a time limit they can't just hang around for like them to be off or potentially take these people aboard as prisoners of war it's like no go 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 someone else will pick them up activate the beacon and of course that's why Colveth you can introduce him like, or reintroduce him and say it's like ah I noticed you've now tipped them off and everything and you didn't die with honor and it gives him a bit more character motivation yeah admittedly yes it is very rushed um but I think it's the kind of thing that it it's more character building for for Colveth in a way I think and I think for a Film, you need that action point. You need the action point. points, yeah. Yeah, I think the fight is important. I just felt it was a bit kind of, I don't know. I had two kind of mindsets about. It. I mentioned like anticlimactic was the kind of thing where like <laughs> we leave them in the brig, and I feel like you're just asking for trouble at that point. Like, mm. like they they know how Klingons work. Less like mm. the kind of like the um like a disgraced samurai or Ronin or whatever. Like oh, seppuku stuff. Yeah, you leave them like oh. I'll leave you to go and speak to your master. We're like, well, you know how this you know works. Work. He's gonna See, commit I, again. Like, I, yeah. I think Kirk knows that. I think that. Yeah, yeah I think if because we're leading into Star Trek Six. If you hint into that a little bit more, and yes. Kirk is like, you're not my problem anymore. I'll let your own people deal with you, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, because we're leading just, into that. Literally... Just giving that a little bit yeah. more detail of him being like, fuck you, Klingons. Yeah, but indirectly, fuck you, Klingons. Because I like the idea yeah. we're leading into Star Trek Six with the most infamous, well, infamous, a good line, which is, um, Captain, they are dying. Let them die. It's like, whoa, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. And I think then when you have the trial on in in, in Star Trek Six, and they're playing the things like, is it true you did this? You did this. This is true. This is fine. Yes. Is it true that you, you know, locked them up knowing full well we'd come from them? It's like, yeah, but that's your problem. It's like, Jim, shut the fuck up. That kind of stuff. It's it's mm. more incriminating. It's what leads more directly and naturally into Six, where the Klingons are like, you, sir, are a war criminal, <laughs> and it's like, fuck you. I don't recognize your core law. Mm-hmm. I am the law, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So yeah, but I think you can you can definitely, um, again, even in two thousand words, word count. But I can definitely yeah, we can definitely push a bit more of that yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. And I, to I, emphasize. I think there's there's also a, an aspect of, um, you know, with a with a motherfucking Enterprise crew, like you yeah. come against us with a we're bird, OGs. with a bird of prey, we're gonna kick your ass and we're gonna kind of embarrass you in the process. Like yeah. you know, we could yeah, like. Yeah. Quite quickly, we're going to take out your power, and then we're going to come aboard and uh, double like, fist beat punch you in hand to hand fighting beat, as well. Beat you in hand to hand fighting. Sixty-year-old men. Like we don't, we we don't need to blow you up. We're just going to lock you up here and leave you, and just yeah. and and I can imagine that there would be a little bit of like Kirk or McCoy 
Um, Kyber running okay. Just like a dropping a line as they like lock the the captain up in the mm. in the brig and are just like uh no I don't th- I don't think you deserve an honorable death I think you uh mm. you can just wait here and get picked up by your superiors. Yeah. Like and that that'll burn you for trying to step yeah. to me. It's it's I think Kirk it's, saying it's that that little addition that would make the difference. Yeah. It's Kirk absolutely. saying it and then McCoy saying Jim, I think they're only really pissed off. And that kind of thing is like, yeah, well, they piss me off. And they keep that yeah, I think yeah. No, I think it's good. That's good. I prefer that. Change taken. <laughs> what next? It's very I mean, this is the same in the original film. Sure. Um it's very focused on the core 3. Yes. Um, um this is a uh, I mean, this is true of really of all the Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's mm-hmm. like what do you do with Scott Uhura Sulu and Chekhov. And, and the answer is we take nothing. the piss out of Abrams. He did. He was able to kind of expand. He that a did it. The team ensemble really goddamn well. Horror gets some fantastic moments and screen time, and Zoe's all yeah. fantastic in that role. I agree. And she's able to work with Quinto as Spock, and yeah, even yeah. fuck who's who's Scotty in that. Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. Working with mm. Simon Pegg, he gets his own screen time and his mm. little companion and all his little alien companions and mm. stuff. And yeah, backstory yeah. and. Blah 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 blah. Beyond really gives them. Like, yeah, everybody has. Beyond, everybody has Beyond is fantastic. Yeah, I agree. exactly. It's great for that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think. Yeah, like you said. Yeah, we leave Sulu in charge and all that kind of stuff, but it's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, I think that's that's not your fault. I think I think that's a product of the time. Product no, of the I think series it's, it, it is my fault. Then, because again, I'm, I'm the man who holds the pen at this point, so like I will happily take that blame. But I think yeah, it's it's also if you at that point one, two, three, four, and every Star mm. Trek TV episode. Mm. There are bits, and we give some more bits, mm. but ultimately, they would be again there. It's it, it's it's frustrating because this is also again. It's, uh, that a wasn't meant job. as a, uh, a no, criticism right. necessary. It's just it's a choice, and I think it's a choice in line with what it is at what Star yeah. Trek is at that point. Mm. But I think I think if you wanted to do one where it was more of an ensemble, you would end up with a different film. True, which is true. You know, but um. Yeah, I just um, mm. I didn't know if there was any other moments that you kind of didn't fit in that you were thinking, mm. oh yeah, I'll give them no, um, there, or... not not initially because there's nothing really. I mean, I get I've tried to give them little bits pieces here and there to do like specific actual. This is your job. Yeah. So Scott inspects the time warp core and is like, mm. oh, that's some interesting technology stuff. He's probably does the translation, translation stuff. stuff yeah. Um, Chekhov and Sulu don't have a lot to do because there's not a lot of firing. Mm. But this is the point. When I literally write the Warbird Hamper fight mm-hmm. with... Sorry, the, the Bird of Prey have a fight mm. with the Enterprise, that's a longer sequence. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah and you yeah. do have a lot of stuff in there, hopefully. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's mm. tricky. But it, I think, yeah, there's nothing that's specific. I'm like, oh, but I didn't get to do this, which would have really defined the character. Yeah. But I think really there isn't much you can do to define the character because it's such a large ensemble of new faces as well. Mm. They're just there being very solid supports. As much as I hate to say that because it's a bit of a cop-out, but yeah, that's what I think. Fair. Mm. I love the Nietzschean references um, to kind of tie it into sci-fi thing. I think Mm. it's the TV series Andromeda. Is it Andromeda? Andromeda, um, Mm. God, what's that guy's name? Kevin Sorbo? Kevin Sorbo, that's the... Hercules! Disappointed! That guy. (laughs) Weird show that I kind of liked as a kid, but it's not good. <laughs> and they're all divided into like factions of different literal philosophies. They're the Nietzscheans and they're yes. the whatever, the Jungians and all this kind of stuff. It's like mm. I, I almost got like references to that because there's a, like you said, you kind of lean fairly heavily into the Nietzsche there. I do. But I think that works with the kind of 
Cthulian mythos and, mm-hmm. and cosmic destinies and horrors and gods and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, the whole will God, to power God is stuff dead and, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. It's a, I, I like what you did with the philosophy there and turning it around and having it all tied together and tying into the title of the, the film and mm. stuff like that rather than just fucking row, row, row your boat. If it was Star Trek V, row your boat. Uh, that's the equivalent of this shit. Is like, um, Actually, Star Trek V, life is but a dream would be like, that's quite interesting. Oh, the oh what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. No, not... The, uh, Star it's Trek V, basically... merrily, 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 merrily. Um, yeah, lot, trying to bring a bit of nihilism, because at the end of the day, Star Trek at this point has hints of sort of obviously you know like rituals and things and sort of pseudo religions mm. and such but nothing specifically um linked to anything so there's a lot of room for nihilism basically mm. the idea of like what happens when you acknowledge that there is only the cold recess of space and it's like well you figure it out you you journey into it you uncover <laughs> it why because it's something to do yeah. <laughs> it's it, star trek's interesting in that regard because the, it kind of it embraces the kind of atheism yes. of, of Nietzscheism, but it, it kind of comes out more, much more positive than mm. most of uh, Nietzsche's thoughts yeah. have. Yeah, is a tricky one. I mean, my wife wrote her, whatever it is, the thesis, I don't know. Dissertation. Oh, dissertation, thank you. My wife wrote her dissertation on Nietzsche, and, and so I hear a lot about it. But yeah, there is lots of little principles. And the thing is, Nietzsche is a very odd character for lots of reasons. But one, because he contradicts his own work over and over and over again. And his work was hijacked when he died by his sister, who was fucking crazy, who was like, mm, I've got some third Reichy kind of minds. I'm going to just... I'm just gonna... He literally had this whole thing, will to power, with the idea of... Um, and I think it's the idea of, you know, you must be the strongest thing in the environment. Bear gonna bear they're gonna fuck you up kind of thing therefore master race therefore master yes. race yeah. and Hitler's like yeah son it's like not what I'm talking about and Schopenhauer and Wagner and etc etc and the whole thing comes down to yeah but it was more like a side note that he was thinking about mm. like thinking oh it wouldn't be interesting if not this is my soul philosophy which mm. was the ubermensch etc 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 it's more about the idea when he said God is dead for example the thing is meant to be the idea of a fearful state rather than a rejoicing state rather than saying yeah god's dead we're the superior race yeah it's like can you imagine what it'd be like if god was dead now that we're like an age of science and we don't we can't bring that back we've you know there's no man sacrifices an altar that's going to bring it back we are the heralds of our own destiny and it's the same thing about kirk that's the parallel of sort of i'm trying to sort of strike if you're the one forging ahead making all these mistakes in public and sort of landing on your feet every time like a fucking cat. Jellical cat. <laughs> Fuck off, Matthew. No, what happens if you... If, if you're booed stripper cat. <laughs> if you're making all these mistakes, of course people are going to follow you. And if there's no fear of what's looking over your shoulder, there's no fear of what comes next. There's no consequence of just doing what you like. And Kirk has always kind of done what the fuck he likes. He was an admiral, did what the fuck he likes. Captain, did what the fuck he likes. It's my ship, fuck you. <laughs> Kirk, if you do Very this, you'll never send the captain shower again. Fuck you. Yep. He, there's like almost never any consequence except, except the death of his son, which is the one he's like, I can never take this back. And that's the sort of humbling gut punch. And equally leads into Star Trek VI again with the idea of, I'll never forgive Klingons for the death of my boy. And it's like, yes, because this should be something that has been with him this whole fucking time. Because it's, yeah. So all these bits and pieces. And Nietzsche, I think, 
It doesn't have to be Nietzsche specifically, but I think that's a good philosophy because it's also quite an obvious one. Yeah, yeah. And for an audience, it's approachable because the, the quotes are quite prevalent and they're quite... I mean, the quote he mentions, the, the um, Spock quotes of like, to all the humans or human beings I care about, I wish upon you misery and suffering, etc. What he's trying to say is you get better when you uh, go through, go through adversity and hardship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for those people I actually care about, I hope bad things happen to you because you'll be stronger on the other side of it. It's like, I, you know, a comfortable life for somebody. And then it's like, that sounds very Klingon to me. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, uh, what's the, uh, the, it's the thing in 300 of all fucking things. The Spartans, like with two FELTs, it's like, oh, may you yeah, live a long, yeah. happy life. And it's like, oh, that's cold. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, to you, it's a normal sort of pop comment to everyone else. Also very much like uh, Tilda Swinton's Gabriel in... Constantine. Constantine. I very much like that mm. analogy. Yeah, that of like he's like, I'll make you worthy of God because mm. you'll have pain mm. and you'll suffer and you achieve so amazing, amazing things when you suffer. It's and again, I've I've noted this when I was like a kid. I was like, people tend to be at their best when things are at their worst. Art gets really fucking good. Yeah, people are actually yeah. really charitable and friendly and helpful. People are act motivated when things are shit. When people are comfortable, like say, well, there's no perfect time, unfortunately maybe kind of the late 90s everyone's like so like well all the world's economy is kind of on the rise the gulf <laughs> war's kind of at an end it seems mm-hmm. everything's kind of going pretty good yeah there are pockets everywhere else obviously but the general western world was like fucking hell i think we're all buying houses now and they're only six thousand pounds <laughs> um and then suddenly bang 2001 it's like well fuck you and then bang, uh, recession hits in 2008 and all these sorts of things and there's been nothing but hardship and right-wing shit, etc. God damn millennials. I don't know. Always whining. But the point is that that makes people more engaged in politics, makes them in theory more charitable, more motivated. So yeah, there's lots of ideas behind it, but it's all a warped, and this is the whole point here, it's a warped philosophy. Mm -hmm. It's not a guaranteed roadmap. So yeah, that's why I did it. (laughs) <laughs> that's why I killed them all officer that's why I killed God Matt said at great length yep <laughs> Matt explained that's a call back to Patreon I think that's that's covered all my questions I thought overall extremely solid pitch thank you much better than the original agreed deep philosophical full of Klingons just how I like my Star what Trek what does Smit Gorodich need with a starship <laughs> <laughs> what does Nietzsche need with a starship that's the question moustache <laughs> moustache moustache there's a big shit with a moustache on the front of it like yeah. it's cars thank you that's very kind so Matt if uh, our dear dear listeners would like to get in contact with you to discuss Nietzsche mm. Star Trek yeah the greater questions of the universe sure how should they do that you can shout out a window perhaps <laughs> you can pull fall... your name three times no. into a mirror no 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 just fall to your knees Stockton, Stockton, and quiver Stockton. with your really, really, really dirty teeth. Uh, what? <laughs> You'll get this reference in a second. And I'll walk over to you. And oh, I'll... it's that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's gross teeth guy. Gross teeth guy, yeah. yeah. And be like, ah, who are you? And, you and spend I'll say... 40 minutes walking in slow motion. Damn right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll take my hood off and you'll see that I have no hair and a beard. And you go... <laughs> and I'll laugh at you like this. <laughs> Stogs, S T O G H Z, on all the social media or in the red right hand for my reviews or cheeseman.com for my films. <laughs> <Shuckery>. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Why does he laugh at the beginning? Fucking who knows? It's like the weird bit where they all laugh in Lord of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> Frodo's alive. <laughs> you young Slow cunt. motion laughing for some reason. Fucking ridiculous. Like, what, what is um, going on here? Yeah. You're a Vulcan. Ha! Ha! Oh! Oh! Merry Christmas! <laughs> Shakari! Um, yes, Shockery, so everybody. <laughs> you can you can find me on all the places and things and stuff. And at Shakari. At Shakari. I'll see you. At <laughs> I have many faces. Maybe I like this one the best. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's a long way of saying the usual social media handles, but yeah. I if you have like some opinions on Star Trek and you like don't like my idea, fuck off. <laughs> I will fucking Russell Crowe fucking fight you. <laughs> I'll romper stomp you. I will fight in round the world, romper stomp you. Actually, no, he's like massively racist in that one. No, I will <laughs> gladiator you because that's more family friendly. <laughs> I'll sick a tiger on you that isn't even there. Yeah. CGI. Actually, it wasn't. It was just... Carry on, Tim. Uh, Jack. Hello. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Shakari. <laughs> In the lovely place known as Paradise City. Where the grass is green. And the girls are pretty. <laughs> but the cats have titties. Tim! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mentioned in the commentary what the original lyrics were as written by Slash. Yeah. If you'd like to know, listeners, go listen to the commentary. Yeah. Join us on Patreon and uh, enjoy our wonderful commentary to this. It's revealing. Garbage, garbage film. <laughs> it says a lot about Slash and his philosophies. Yeah, it does, yeah. And much of, much to my own, if you'd like to hear about my philosophies and how I would rewrite Guns N' Roses songs, you can at me, JLW Chambers, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the social medias you want to discuss. Shakari. Or Vishush. Anything like that. Any philosophies or Klingon concepts. If you'd like to fight me to the death for any particular reason with a bat left, come at me, bros. It's on, bold on talk, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 down for it. Take like a page I'm, out of my book. I'm a somewhat like Molon. Mm. Tim, if people wish to fight you to the death in the name of honor in their house, how should mm-hmm. they do that? You can find me beyond the barrier in the yawning void where the centre of the universe should be. And also on Twitter. Oh. Uh, I'm trivia underscore lad at both. Yeah, that's the place to find me talking nonsense, mm. usually. Are you the Lovecraftian horror in the centre of the universe? Tim pulled up like the space I baby in 2001. It's Tim having a nap and he's just like, fuck off. <laughs> Which is cosmic wave. I have fart. an alternate Twitter account that is my Lovecraftian horror at the centre of the universe. <laughs> Uh, is it an RP account where you're <laughs> talking to all the Lovecraftian horrors? It's, it's a very long story that in, involves me um, doing a sort of affectionate gaslighting on my friend. <laughs> but yeah, t- uh, trivia underscore lad uh, for all my normal conversations. And I put normal in, you know, quotation marks. marks yeah. yeah. What about the show, though? About the show? As an entity, what does God need with a show? What does the sequelizers need with a starship? Oh man, the things I would fucking do with a starship. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, no, no, I would. I'd want to be a starship captain. He's fucking great. Seth MacFarlane was right. In a way, you are, Matthew, because you just wrote a Star Trek movie. Dreams can come true. Yeah, life is but a dream. Captain. Merrily, 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 <laughs> merrily, oh, merrily, 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 merrily. Off my goddamn porch, Spock. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> McCoy racks a I'll shotgun. Give, give you until the count of five. Yeah. One, two. It's like, we're unloading a gun. Um, yes, yeah, sorry. The show. Uh, yeah, you can, you can find us. We are on Twitter, at Sequelizers. We are on Instagram, at Sequelizers. We are on Facebook.com, slash Sequelizers. You can email us, Sequelizers at gmail.com. You can find us on SoundCloud and all of your uh, podcatcher services of choice. Most importantly, we are at Patreon.com, slash Sequelizers, where you can support us if you are able with some money every month, and that will give you a variety of benefits, which Jack Chambers will now explain. You can do everything from getting ad-free episodes, early access to episodes. That is the Friday before it's released on the Tuesday, you lucky, lucky people. You can vote for an episode per season, which we will be opening reasonably soon. Mm-hmm. We, uh, yes, very we'll soon. Be, we'll be sorting out... When this goes up. When this goes up, we will have sorted out the... Uh, Season 6 goodness, and mm-hmm. we'll open up the vote for our dear patrons. Bonus audio, and as I mentioned earlier, not only do you get the outtakes and all that kind of good stuff, commentary for this episode specifically. We've already done one for The Dark Knight Rises, mm-hmm. and and the series finale, Yep, which we teased earlier. Yep. Very bad special effects. <laughs> and this episode as well, so you're getting three this season. They're very good. They're very fun. It's a lot of fun to watch films with you guys, and I think it's a, it's a nice little insight into our... We have fun. We do. We do. We, we also do. do weird stuff. We do. It's just, it's full of more. Obviously, it's a little bit more uh, free form, loosey goosey, mm. uh, munching on carrots and <laughs> carrots and hummus, un- unedited hummus goodness. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't want. I don't want to spoil the season finale, either the episode don't or you? the commentary. Damn it! But we review toast goods. <laughs> oh, we do. Yeah, I'd forgotten about. We that. literally, as the film is going on, say. Okay, just an update for you. We're going to try this one now. And we actually try food. Yeah. It is ridiculous. If you want to hear our snack reviews, tune in for the season finale it's, it's audio crazy. commentary. And yeah, we did an audio commentary for this film. Yep. It's full of hijinks and stupid bollocks. <laughs> because of course it is. And uh, yeah, for $10 per month, it's one of our most popular tiers. It is. It is the most popular tier by a long shot, actually. Mm. You can enjoy all of our bonus content, outtakes, commentaries silly shit that we do behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and all that good stuff there's a bunch of other tiers where anything from if you are able to we'd really appreciate your support and if you're not able to don't worry you can still enjoy the show for free as always always on your as tim mentioned earlier your podcatcher of choice and you know let us know via all the the social media channels etc what you think of the show what you think of matt's star trek choices do you think that should you have picked kevin klein instead of russell crowe should he Who have knows? picked Kevin Sorbo instead of Russell Crowe? Oh, Kevin Costner oh. instead of Russell Crowe. Kevin Spacey? No, oh. no not even 1990 Kevin Spacey. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, I would like to know what everyone thinks the creature at the center of the universe looks like. Talking mm. about like being inspired mm. by mm. some of yeah, our... Yeah, if, uh, if got mm. some... Uh, people have driven our artwork yeah, and stuff. Yeah, we've, we've, we've got some episode-inspired mm. art from a few fans and listeners before, which is really cool. Speaking of Patreon... Uh, sorry, I'm going to go back to Patreon, I should say. John Scarrett, our... Uh, Awesome in-house designer. We're also doing digital poster art for some of these films and physical poster art for some of the tiers as well. I'd be curious to see if he's going to do this one. He's only obviously all the films or not, but it's be something. Mm. Um, if he's going to try and draw said entity, the, the, <laughs> I'm imagining the the USS the Man and the Bird of Prey, mm. the Warbird, whichever one it was, yeah, yeah. facing the 
the creature, the mm. Lovecraftian monster, whatever it may be. Xenomorphic looking thing. Yeah. Well, well they, looking I mean, they wouldn't, space xenomorph. they wouldn't. They wouldn't give it away on the poster, Matthew. Uh, yeah, they would. <laughs> they, they would when it's us and it's not a real film. Yeah, they would ruin it because, again, as we might come back to discussing at some point, posters are fucking bad most of the time <laughs> and ruin everything. Yep. Well, on that note, gentlemen... I guess we'll see the listeners next week, won't we? You know how to end this episode, right? I don't say I don't warn you. Row, row, row your boat gently row, down row, the stream. Row your boat gently merrily, down merrily, down the stream. Merrily, 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 Thank you.